everybody, and welcome to the Stronghold Podcast. I am here with one of my best dudes, former one championship fighter, Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt, and head coach of Matrix MMA here in Singapore. Major overall, what's up, dude? What's up, brother? I think this officially makes you the uh, most most guests on the podcast you've done four this, this would be the fourth one yeah we had a secret one that uh did right at the beginning of the pandemic you remember that yeah, yeah. that we lost the video too so people could only find the audio of that one but that was probably the most racist and offensive we've ever been on the podcast so good thing i didn't make good. it to youtube conveniently lost <laughs> <laughs> conveniently lost because it definitely wouldn't have lasted actually i'm lying ron's was probably the one that did get pulled off of youtube was definitely the most offensive one we've ever done in our life yeah Anyway, dude, and then there were some fights today. We had uh, Holyfield and Vitor Belfort, and then we had Anderson Silva and uh, Tito Ortiz, and it, we got some crazy stories. You and I decided to go to Stickies and get drunk the other week, and we we just had some good, we had some comedy gold, I feel like, to talk on the podcast today, so yeah. well, let's start off with that Evander Holyfield shit. What are your, what are your thoughts on that, dude? Holyfield and uh, Vitor Belfort. I mean, there, there had to be better guys for him to come back to. Other than Vitor. I mean, that wasn't just Vitor. That looked like TRT Vitor. Oh, that was definitely <laughs> TRT Vitor. That was TRT Vitor for sure. He looked all jacked and traps were huge and everything. Um, I mean, Holyfield looked good for like the first 30 seconds. I mean, I don't know. But even when he punched, there was like, you know, it reminded me of when uh, Chuck Liddell fought Tito that second time and you could see him do the pad work. Yeah. And it was just, you but, see the speed, the fast twitch is not there. Yeah. But to be fair, I mean, he did just as well as Tito. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's true. He actually, did better than Tito, I think. Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. at least he got up. You know, and I said I kept seeing. I don't know if you were following like the the internet shit on on this fight, and everybody just kept saying Holyfield looks great. Holyfield, because you know he's big and he's got a six pack and everything. Yeah. And then these these people that don't really know what's up think that that means he can still fight. Like, mm. dude, you can be jacked, and that doesn't mean shit when you're throwing like bones at each other. You you can be jacked, and you, you can be good at fighting, but if you're sixty, it's <laughs> yeah. it's a tough I think he turns 59 next week yeah that's crazy and Vitor Belfort and the other I don't know what's your opinion on Vitor Belfort do you do you like Vitor Belfort I mean oh god he actually kind of just annoys me like, really I mean I like his fighting style yeah but you know he, he popped for steroids when he was like 20 he was a known juice head all the way through his career he blinded Michael Bisping in a fight when he was roided out of his fucking head Knocks out a 60-year-old Evander Holyfield and is, like, screaming like he just won the goddamn world championships. I'm just like, man, this guy has, like, no self-awareness. Maybe. I don't know. I think if you... You probably look up to Evander Holyfield as a little kid. You know, you played the video game, the real deal, Holyfield. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then you just beat that guy. I don't care if he is 60 years old, you know? Like, you still probably think. You don't like, care that he's 60? I care that he's 60. Uh, <laughs> I think a certain part of you probably sees 1992 Evander Holyfield standing across... The I know. Like if I dunked on Jordan right now, <laughs> that's a win. Yeah, that's, that's a win. A win. I, would still, I would still feel good about myself. I don't care what you say. Well, well then that's what Vitor's going through right now. That's <laughs> yes, right. Yeah. I mean, this is a, a the second ever three time heavyweight champion of the world, only next to Muhammad Ali. Yeah. That got knocked out in like a minute by an MMA fighter. Uh, I think roided to the tits. To be fair, Holyfield's probably on some shit too. But Vitor's 15 years younger. Yeah. Well. Five times undefeated, bro. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It was just rough. But speaking of Florida, Florida's going to Florida, and that's exactly what they did, given Holyfield's license. I mean, the dude can barely talk. Yeah. You hear him in interviews? But would you would you pay to watch Oh, would you be willing to watch him fight Mike Tyson, or would you be excited about that fight? I, I would have been before I saw what I saw today. Because you think Tyson's in a similar boat, but when he fought Roy Jones, you could tell he's still he's still explosive. Roy Jones is old, too, though. I mean, if he would have went against Vitor, his fate would have probably been the same. I don't know, man. Well, maybe Roy Jones, but I think Tyson 
was definitely still there. Like you watched the fight, right, with him and him and Roy. I felt like he was holding back a little bit. Who Tyson? Yeah. Oh, me too. Yeah. But even still, you you can see he's quick. The fast twitch yeah. is still there, right? And that's really what you need to fight. Yeah. I mean, Holyfield, when even when he was throwing like his ones and his twos, it's just no speed, no power, no threat. But and then of course the chin is totally gone. This guy's absorbed tens of thousands of strikes throughout his career, right? But when you watched George Foreman fight Michael Moore. I feel like Holyfield looked three times faster than George Foreman. <laughs> yeah, but Foreman was 44. That's like Holyfield's 59. Yeah, that's true. But I'm still saying he looked three times faster than than another old guy who came back and beat a younger yeah, guy. Yeah, I mean Michael Moore was 26. That's crazy. 40, yeah. 40 was he 44? I think yeah, Holyfield was, or uh, I think uh, George Foreman was 44 when he won, right? Something like that. In the 40s, yeah. That's cr- isn't that amazing? Yeah. I mean, who who could do that nowadays? Could you imagine like I don't know who's a bot? Could you imagine? Klitschko coming back and beating... No, Klitschko's not even that old. He's not even in his mid-40s, I don't think. No, he is. It would be like Lennox Lewis coming back right now and beating Tyson Fury or something. Yeah, it'd be something like that, right? I mean, but if boxers, I feel like they don't... They just don't age well. Like, they... I mean, they're... When they get past their prime, it's it. It's over, you know? They're yeah, done. they don't look good when they're yeah. laid on in their career like that. Yeah. But they absorb so much more... Like, you've boxed. Have you ever had a boxing fight? That's the only combat sport I've never done is... Like actual, bo- like pure boxing. So anyway, dude, you were saying uh, your, your boxing training, you're, you're, you did with a boxing trainer and they brought the sparring partners in and... Yeah, so it would basically just be fights on Fridays, you know. And these guys would bring their whole families out. Like, it wasn't sparring, bro. <laughs> they were, we were like getting dropped and it was not friendly at all. That's why I feel guys like... I didn't know and, you know... But that's why I feel like boxers don't have the same shelf life as like MMA fighters because the sparring that they do, like, man, how many... Okay, if you had to take a guess... How many punches to the head do you think Evander's taken in his career? Keep in mind, he fought as an amateur for 10 years, I think, before he even went pro. Yeah. And then he fought as a pro for almost 20. Yeah, that's true. And all the sparring, all the training, the amateurs, the Olympics, cruiserweight, heavyweight, his decline in his... I think he stopped when he was in his 40s, and then he comes back like fucking 15 years later for this beatdown. If you had to guess, what would it be? Oh, man, that's... Tens of thousands? Man. Easily. More than that, probably, right? I don't know if it's the same in the States, but in the UK, they start when they're like eight as well. So it's like, it's not just that, it's the accumulation of like when you're a kid from the age of eight until you retire. And um, Tony Jeffries talks about it, the Olympic uh, bronze medalist. And he's like, you've got to get out because I've been being punched in the face since I was like, I think he started at 12 or something like that. And it's just crazy how much damage that he's taken over the years. Well, if you think a typical boxer in a fight, especially if it's like a 12-round championship fight, which is pretty much all Holyfield was in for the last 20 years of his career, you think three to 400 punches a fight, probably? you th- you got to think each round is sparring, too, right? Because I'm sure there's, man, 100,000 punches to the head? Is that... I think you got you got to go by like a... Maybe per week is probably an easier way to break it down. Yeah, I don't. My math's not that good. Bro. Mine's not. I mean, I'm <laughs> yeah. just throwing out a huge number, but yeah. 100,000 punches to the head probably seems fair over a career of 30 years. I'd say a guy probably takes, an average boxer probably takes a few hundred punches to the head a week. Because, you know, they don't actually spar every day. A lot of it's just like circuit work and road work. And so a few hundred punches a week over a span of a career of like 25 years. Yeah. That's a lot 52 weeks of punches in a year, to the head. 35. Years in a career, yeah. You know what's weird? How much older is Tyson than Holyfield? Like five years, five years, maybe something like that. He's or Holyfield older than Tyson? I mean, yeah, I think something like I think he's something like five years. Something yeah, like it's not that much, but actually, 
Tyson speaks, you know, Tyson fucking sounds like Tyson, right? Like he's still, you know, he still has that weird kind of voice. Tyson, but he's clear. He's, how, how often did he get hit, though? He's not very, that often. He's very elusive, and he had very short fights for the mo- for the majority of his career. Yeah, that peekaboo style, yeah. bobbing and weaving and rolling in and everything. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was rough to watch Evander, man. I can't believe they, they sanctioned that fight. He, he got denied his license multiple times years before that in California, and because he wanted to make a comeback before. Yeah. So he, he'd been denied license, but Florida go to Florida. Florida's gonna do what Florida's gonna do, man. They don't give a fuck. Yeah. You are free to die. No one here will save you. Yeah. I kind of like that. I kind of like the idea, but it's not very good in practicality when you're seeing your hero get get starched by Vitor Belfort of all people. I don't know, man. Better than Jake Paul. I think Jake Paul would have beat Holyfield. Yeah, but I, I wouldn't. Want I mean, to but see just that. think about those words <laughs> that I just said. Yeah. Just think of just on the surface alone. Just think of those words that I just. Do you disagree? No, I don't. Do you disagree? disagree? No. How fucking sad is the world we live in, where three of us just collectively agreed that Jake Paul could probably be Evander Holyfield right now? I mean, not in his prime, obviously. Oh hell no! But and then you think Vitor Belfort would crush Jake Paul, right? So you think you do now? Yeah. Well, write it up, Vitor Belfort for sure. (laughs) For sure. Who do you think Jake Paul fights next? He's he said he's taking time off. We shall see if that's true or not, because the law of money must be great. But I think, because who, who did he beat last? I only watched it last week. Woodley. Woodley. Like, he's got to the stage now where the next time he fights, he's actually got to be someone who can box. So then he's fucked. Well, they're saying Tommy Fury. He looked like oh, shit. My. He looked like shit in that first fight. The fight on the card. Tommy Fury, not Tyson Fury. Yeah. The cousin or, or whatever. He fought on the undercard. Did you see that one? No. I mean, they're saying that he's going to be the next one, but he, he did not look good. I think Jake Paul's probably already better than him. Just because he's a fury doesn't mean he, he can box. He he looked pretty sloppy, hey. But uh, it's just so funny that we're having this even having this conversation of like Jake Paul fighting Vander Holyfield. <laughs> Freak show fights are the ones making money right now, especially these days. I mean, it's supposed Freak to be yeah. supposed to be Oscar De La Hoya. Yeah, that was originally who was supposed to fight Vitor. That would have been better. No, it wouldn't have. That would have been think? terrible. I think Oscar now can do better than Holy. Oscar's what 40, 45, 45? He's probably Vitor's age, right? He's also like sixty kilos, an alcoholic, and on coke. Hey, to be fair, to be fair, he was an alcoholic and on coke his whole career, and he's still one of the best ever. Is okay. So I was then you get to match up with Chuck Liddell. We we just go advice for vice. Oh yeah, I think, dude, I think Oscar takes it all day. I think Oscar De La Hoya is the greatest fighter to ever be a massive drug addict his whole career, which is honestly kind of impressive. Yeah, that's that's pretty good. I mean, he was even in his like mid career. He had ten years where he was drinking every day during camp. Coked out of his mind. Can you pull up the picture of Oscar De La, of I Oscar De La Hoya coked out of his mind in the fucking brawling panties with that Russian chick? <laughs> Listen, man. If you got good coke and that Russian girl comes over, I'll put her in brawling panties. I'm going to fuck. I'm going to get weird, too. Listen, Oscar, I'm not judging you, but if you haven't seen this this picture, yeah, I mean, pull that up on the main screen. Look at that shit. Give me a sec. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Look at that. His face says, I'm a little uncertain about what I'm doing. His clothes say, I'm here to party. <laughs> that, and I tried to tell this to my wife, that that is one of the greatest boxers to ever live. Isn't that crazy? Even went to split decision with Floyd late in his career when he was like a known party animal, drinking and partying seven days a week. He's the best athlete of all time with the worst lifestyle of all time. Right, like some guys can sustain it and they fall off real quick. Yeah. He sustained it for 10 years. Yeah, that's a long time. It's amazing, right? If you partied like that, how well do you think you'd do? 
I, I don't think I would have a career around. <laughs> do you think you'd be I'm like good enough to do it sober? I mean, like, do you think you'd be a four like, division <laughs> world champion with like, oh man, I don't know. I kind of want to see that. I'd rather see Vitor fight him than than Holyfield for sure. I knew that was a bad idea. Holy, so, Holyfield should never ever get a boxing license again. Like he did not look good. He looked like shit when he was hitting the pads a few days before, and then they still let him go in the ring. Yeah, and then in the other fight on that same card, we had uh, Anderson and. Uh, Tito, did you catch that one? Yeah, yeah. I mean, each of the fights were like a minute, right? So you, yeah. can, you can catch. What, what were your thoughts going into that? Well, I mean, we all know Anderson's a way better striker. Tito was a ground and pound guy. Yeah, he was kind of like the next generation of ground and pound after the the pioneer wing guys. You know, after, after like Coleman and Severn and Coleman. Like Severn figured out you could take a guy down and hold him and slap him up a little bit. Coleman figured out you could headbutt him and make it worse. You remember <laughs> when? Remember when? Uh, I think it was was it the first uh, UFC that that Severn fought Hoist Gracie. And he got no. cut in the triangle? Was it the two? It was the fourth UFC. Oh, it was the fourth one. Yeah. But I remember he didn't throw a single punch the whole time because he thought it was like a yeah. dick move because he was so much bigger than him. And yeah. then he ends up getting caught in the triangle. And then later on, he's like, oh, yeah, I should actually punch people from here. That's that's why uh, he got the nickname The Beast because the next the next event, he's like, he had to unleash The Beast, man. He couldn't yeah. be nice anymore, you know? He, they do some nasty stuff in there and they start to throw elbows, throw headbutts and... Yeah, Charmaine wants to go. My wife wants to go back and watch uh, the early UFCs, yeah. and I'm like, you totally should. You remember, like, Hoist holding on to Kimo Leopoldo's fucking ponytail? Yeah. He'd have him in the guard. He would just keep, like, ripping his hair. Those things were crazy, man, those early UFCs. You think, like, jiu-jitsu alone has evolved so much since then, right? Like, the average purple belt is probably, I mean, technically better than the average black belt. Oh, I would, by leaps and leaps by and leaps, bounds. Right. But... How well do you think, given our size, we're not huge people. We're, we're what, 70, 75 We're like Hoist's size, probably. Hoist is huge, bro. He's, like, he's tall, but he's skinnier than us, I'd say. No, but the tall means he can lock a triangle on a Dan Severn. Mm. I don't think I could. He's, Even that's if true. Dan Severn stood there and let me try, I don't think I would do it. I'd that's true. He's definitely it. lankier, right? Yeah. And he can lock an normal plot on a sumo wrestler. I don't think I could. So that's why he was able to kind of like, even though he was a smaller guy in weight, he still had like the, the length he needed to be able to pull off some of those submissions that he, that he did. Yeah, those early days are fascinating, man. I kind of miss those. Isn't it funny? Because is this this is one of the only sports where you can really trace the origin from the beginning to see where it's coming out. Football, you can kind of do it too, and I guess baseball a little bit, right? Because you remember the old black and white videos of like American football and yeah, baseball, yeah. like with Babe Ruth and and all that kind of stuff. But man, MMA is really fascinating because it was just so barbaric in those early days. Remember yeah. Gerard Gordeaux blinding Yuki Nakai in Pride? Yeah. He was gouging his eyes out? That wasn't Pride. That was, uh, was some Pride. other Japanese show. That Hickson fought in. Uh, choke? Or not Choke. Was it Choke? That was Pride. No, that wasn't Pride. It wasn't Pride. It was a different show. Jake, do you mind uh, Googling that for me? Uh, how do we... I don't know how to spell just, or just, go about the spelling. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because of the spelling involved. Just go to Tapology and look up uh, Yuki Nakai, and you'll see his fights. Yeah, one Yuki Nakai. It'll be the same show for Gerard Gordeaux as it is for... Some other guy, as it is for Hickson. Mm, Japanese MMA, Yuki Nakai. Yeah, I'm on it. He's the guy that gave Aoki his black belt. But yeah, he literally was blinded in the middle of the fight yeah. by getting eye gouged, and he's permanently blind. What, yeah. what a dick that motherfucker is. Yeah, I've, right? I've, seen, his, I've seen his interviews, and he's just kind of like... He's like, yeah, I don't care. He's like, I don't care, it's a fight. What a yeah. dick, man. Fuck that dude. Like, yeah. <laughs> honestly. Different characters back then. They weren't athletes. They were... They were fighters. Yeah. And that, that old school shit, man, if you were like growing up martial arts in the 80s and the 90s, like, you know, they were all about little small joint manipulation, like hitting people in the balls, eye gouging, hair pulling, like. Did you see the Joe Son fight with Keith Hackney? Oh, yeah, yeah, that He just kept punching him in the dick over and over again? Uh, yeah, I think he lost from something else, but I feel like that should, like to have that on your sure dog, 
that shows how old school you are. Like yeah. submission win via strikes to the balls. Yeah, groin strikes. <laughs> yeah. And they never thought this is not this is gonna be fine. <laughs> like how did the organizers be like, Yeah, we'll allow groin strikes and you literally just see some dude mercilessly like hammer fisting your balls over and over and over again. Uh, did you find it here? Uh Valley Two Dog, Japan. Okay, so. you're right, Major Valley Two to Japan. Can you uh, go down to what year that was? If, if, if you go to the record, it should say Gerard Bordeaux. I think it was, it was his last fight, so... I think that's pre-Pride, actually. Like yeah, it must be. Something like that. Early 90s? Mid, late? Nine, 95. 95, 95, yeah. Okay. Yeah, 95, so... <clears throat> that's pre-Pride. Pride is 99, so... Yeah. yeah. That's crazy, man. But yeah, it was, so we were talking about Tito and... Yeah, because Tito... Tito was a wrestler, a ground pound. What? I wonder what made him think he could go in there and box with Anderson Silva. I probably just thought well, he's old too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I like money. What did you see the end? I mean, he literally just like bullied him in the corner, and then just like had Anderson in the corner, started windmilling. Anderson just starts rolling, 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 comes up, boom, cracks him on the jaw, pivots out, boom, hits him again. Uh, you know what? I, I bet, I bet, like when you. When you start off as something and you get labeled as that something, you like like a ground and pound guy, and you've been in the game for 20 years, you really do believe that you are a black belt at everything. You know, you're like I've evolved as a fighter. Like I might be known for this thing, but I can do everything well. And I'm sure he probably just forgot how good Anderson Silva was. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, that is not the move. Like now Anderson Silva has ropes to lean back through. Like, he was rope doping on the cage, bro. Yeah. Like do you think that it, it's gonna be easier with ropes for him to be able to move backwards through? Like that's even worse. That was what was interesting too about the Silva one, right? Because I mean he's in the Philly shell, just weaving, rolling under, rolling under, boom, yeah. like textbook boxing, right? Yeah. And Tito's just trying to mug him in the corner. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. It, it's interesting. And actually. Tito's younger than Anderson, right? I think so. Is Tito younger than Anderson? I think so. Or well, I feel like they're the same age, but it probably yeah, probably similar. But obviously, I mean, Anderson's prime uh, prime was way later. Yeah, they're in the same age division. If they were like in an IBJJF tournament, though, for sure they're that close. What's what's Tito there? Can you pull that up on the main screen? Forty six. Sorry, let me just get so Anderson. That's, and that Anderson. about the same. Yeah, forty six and forty six. Okay, forty six yeah. and forty six. Yeah. That's interesting, right? Because they're also totally different eras. Because Anderson's prime was so much later. Yeah, I mean, Tito was what early two thousands. Yeah, like two thousand three ish. Yeah, that was his real. Because Chuck's era champion. was later, right? He was after Tito, so it would have been like Frank Shamrock, then Tito, then Chuck, then you start moving through all of the crazy shit until John Jones. Yeah, it was, well, I think Sil- Anderson was post post tough, like right yeah. after tough. That's when he kind of made his. Yeah, Tito was way before. Yeah, so that was uh, Tito was kind of almost like right up until that. I think the fight where Tito loses the belt to Chuck is like one of the first fights they put on TV. Yeah, which was like two thousand four. That was huge. Yeah, that was like the first over million dollar buy I think for pay per views. Uh, no, I mean on t- on regular TV. Mm. So that's when you're like, hey, this is socially acceptable. You're starting to get that idea, right? Yeah. Then they released the Ultimate Fighter the next year, and they're like, that's hey, right, these yeah. are normal guys. And then it became sort of mainstream. It wasn't as as uh, <clears throat> taboo as it was before because you're seeing it on regular TV Spike TV it's there now and then out of that generation you had like uh, the stars from from the first show you had Chris Lieben and these guys even Rich Franklin the next the next season right and then you had Anderson Silva blow through these guys and become champion and then that he kind of held it for like forever right yeah. for that whole era right? 16 fights right he was yeah. 16 and 0 and, until he lost to Weidman Weidman yeah yeah, yeah. 
That's crazy, man. It's amazing these guys are still... Because a bunch of the people you just mentioned are still fighting. Like, Diego just fought recently. He was tough one. Chris Levin's still doing bare knuckle, right? As yeah. recently as a year ago yeah, yeah. or something like that. Like, you still have... Tito obviously predates tough. Still yeah. doing the damn thing. Like you, And actually, Tito's done pretty well. I mean, it's just so weird that he thought he could do so well in boxing. He's a grappler. But he beat, like, Alexander Shlomenko in Bellator. He beat Chael. Like, he's still competing... At a relative, not the tip anymore, right? But, like, the legend circuit, he's still doing pretty well there. But, I mean, Anderson's striking is just too fucking good. Yeah. But, you, actually, you were saying earlier about, imagine if Anderson had just focused on boxing, right? Yeah, if he hadn't spent any time learning jiu-jitsu or takedown defense or kicks or anything like that, he just put all of his energy into boxing, how good could that guy have been, right? Yeah. Did you hear his post-fight interview? No, I didn't. He just kept talking about Bruce Lee, Bruce Lee, Bruce Lee, martial arts. He's like, be like water. He just kept... Quoting Bruce Lee over and over again, which is interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's still amazing that Anderson beat uh, Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. Yeah. Guy, I think his record was 50-4 and four in boxing. He's yeah. the son of the greatest Mexican boxer of all time. Probably boxing from when he was fucking... Before he could walk, he was throwing punches. Mm-hmm. You know, and Anderson... You know, Julio Cesar Chavez probably didn't train properly, which he's known for doing. Yeah. But still, it's amazing that he was able to get in there and win pretty much every round. A couple close ones, but you think, I mean, you think Anderson's going to do it again? I think he can. I mean, he's he's probably a competitor at heart, you know, and he's still making money with this. He's probably still having fun with it. It's something new for him. It's, but, it's probably it's probably like, it's probably fun because it's a stage in his life where he's not trying to be the baddest man in the world anymore. He's just trying to go out there, have fun, have some good competition. But so let me ask you this. What if Anderson gets holy fielded or gets chuckledilled? It goes too long. I mean, how's that, right? I just like fucking BJ Penn. It wouldn't be anything. Vander Holyfield, Chuckledell. I just, man, it's so sad. We, we've, we've seen that happen to Anderson already several times at the end of his career, though. True, but he's still proven. Uh, yeah, what's up? Come oh, touch it. Okay. Yeah, but he's still proven that he can, he can, keep, he can compete. He can stay in there. And he can keep fighting, so... I don't know, man. I feel like, what, but do you always go until that point? Do you always go until, I mean, obviously Anderson, I mean, he fought Adesanya, right? Like, obviously he's not there. He can still fight, but do you just go until you get fucked up royally? Like, how many times, right? I mean, yeah, I don't know. It's hard because you don't know when that moment's going to be, right? Actually, you told me you were maybe itching a good little something-something going. <laughs> a little something-something on the side. If they started a Masters division, I'd come back. Are you getting baddest itchy? Man, baddest man over 40. Are you getting itchy? <laughs> yeah, a little bit. You're getting a little itchy? To, why, why, why do you feel that way? Because I was thinking, like, you know, you don't get any young. It's not like your, your years bounce back and forth, and I'll, I'll be 25 again in 10 years. And so I you just see the window thing. closing, and you're like, maybe I should get a couple more. Yeah. Well, I mean, let's be fair. Let's be... Let's be clear. I don't think that I would do well against some roided up twenty-five-year-old in a burpee contest. You know, but what if you're roided up, bro, <laughs> then he's, you know, then he's still twenty-five. <laughs> <laughs> but if you take enough steroids, you can be twenty-five for like a couple days. <laughs> a couple days. I'm twenty-five for a couple days. I'm probably not even in the ring though. <laughs> probably on spring break somewhere or something. Yeah. yeah. That's funny, man. But yeah, so I mean. So then what's the move? I mean, people have been talking about this for a long time. Yeah. Creating, like, a, you know, effectively a master's division for, for MMA or for... Bro, in Japan they have some... I don't know if it's, like, a formal division or anything, but it's definitely not a formal division. But I see a bunch of old dudes out there that, I mean, like, OG legends of the sport, just kind of hanging out, leaving their, their job at 5 o'clock, training every night, and then they're, they're still on the circuit competing. And I'm like, 
when I was when I went to Corner Will in one of his fights in Japan, I saw like a bunch of those guys and they were fighting each other and I'm like, I could compete with these guys. Like, they're not making me like use too much energy. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, I'm not chasing Christian Lee's ass around the ring though. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm over that. I mean, it's it's one of those things where it, it's always <clears throat> disappointing, right? Because you could make those good matchups. Yeah, but instead, what you see is like a 40 year old John Wayne Parr fighting prime Nikki Holtzkin. Right, right. And we're like, what the hell are we doing? Yeah. What the hell are we doing? Put him against Yotsen Klai, right? Yeah. Put, you know what I mean? Put him against a guy that's like similar age. You know, they ha- I mean, they fought a bunch of times anyway, and they had some wars or whatever, but you can do something with John Wayne Parr that's not putting him against Nikki Holtzkin. Are we- what are we doing here? Why do they put Sakuraba against Prime Aoki? It's it just, who wants to see that? That's my thing. Like, I think, I think maybe if the promoters are going to pay to have these fights, they want to transfer some of that value. Of the, of the legend, right? That's what it is. It's passing it on, right? Yeah, it's passing it on. Getting it's, the new guys over the hump. But it's kind of like we're all watching with like, through through our hands, like, oh, yeah. are, are we really doing this? Like, oh. yeah. But that's what this Holyfield thing was, right? Yeah. I mean, it's literally everyone just being like, come on, come on, come on, come on Holyfield, come on. Even though every person who's, like, educated knows exactly what's going to happen. I mean, what? He landed, Vitor landed, like, three punches. Every single one of them pretty much knocked Holyfield off his feet or off-balanced him. Yeah. Right? Well, I mean, he was he was a late replacement, first of all. So that, I, don't, I don't think that was the, the grand plan to put Holyfield in there with Vitor. But let's be honest, uh, De La Hoya, De La Hoya uh, had to pull out. Got the COVID. Right? Got the COVID. Yeah, had to pull out. So if Vitor is off the card, the card's gone, basically, right? More or less. If, if there's no Vitor, the value yeah. of the card is, yeah. is you can't do any it's worthless, right? So yeah. you have to find somebody. You put Holyfield in there. I suppose on top of that, You've not only got to find someone, you've got to find a name. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So, if, if you didn't see what Holyfield looked like before, I mean, if you saw... 59 years old? Yeah. 50, put him against a 45-year-old. Put him. That's still old as fuck. Like, that's still older than anybody should be fighting. 59. Can you think of any fighter who's ever fought at 59 years old? Skip Hall. Dude, who the hell is that? <laughs> this is Navy SEAL guy who... Uh, I think he made his debut at 61 years old in MMA. He oh, had like man. four or five fights. Yeah. Well, what was that old uh, UFC guy, the black dude, uh, Rob uh, Van, Van Cleef? Yeah, you yeah. That? Can, can you pull that up, Jake? 53, I think, when he fought Hoist Rob Christmas. Van Cleef. I think he fought in like UFC 3. He was in his 50s for sure. Yeah. And this is pre-TRT. This is pre... He could probably be on steroids, but I don't think TRT was around back then. Maybe it was, too. I don't know what I'm talking about. But this guy was like in his 50s when he made his UFC debut. Yeah! Just Jack, more Jack than I've ever been. <laughs> right, yeah, this it. Pull this guy up. Oh, the Black Dragon. The Black Dragon. dragon. The Black Dragon. That's right. So should I find it? Yeah, this guy, man. Look at that. Yeah, you zoom in on him. Look at that. Five ten, one ninety. I mean, this guy was like a well-known. Like traditional martial artist, can you go to his record? He fought at UFC. What? what was he it? fought Hoist Gracie. I think it was UFC three. Yeah, I'm thinking three too. Let's say four. Four. Yeah, yeah. UFC four. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Rob Van Cleef. He's he's definitely got to be the oldest guy to fight in the UFC. Because nowadays they wouldn't let anyone fight in, the, in their fifties. Yeah, I think he probably. Because was huh? Randy or or Hendo would be the oldest. They were in their mid forties. Yeah, I think I think Hendo when he fought Bisping was forty four, forty five, right? Yeah, somewhere in there. <sighs> Amazing. Yeah, that's amazing. That you could still do that. That old Russian guy is probably uh, uh, the guy with the weird submissions. Either Olenek? Way, yeah, Alexei Olenek. I like that guy. How old is he, Jake? Sorry, can he's got to be yeah. forty-five. We're, we're going on a lot of different tangents here, yeah. but 
old old man power. Glover, he's pushing it. He's got to be he's got to be damn yeah. near forty, and he's he's fighting for the title. But yeah, Alexei Olenek, man, what a savage that guy is. He's been fighting since forty four. Three decades. He's, yeah. been, he's been a professional fighter. 44. 44. He might outlast Randy and Hendo. He's still top 10, I think, in the division. He's still a fun fighter to watch. Oh, yeah. I love watching. He's so weird. Let me ask you this. Have you ever drilled the Ezekiel choke from the bottom out? Have. You have. Yeah, of course. You know, you know me, bro. Yeah, you I see something. That, I, I got to see you guys out. And any success with it? Yeah. Like, not white belts, dude. Not, no, no. I, I can catch it on blue belts if they have long necks. Yeah, <laughs> you can stuff it in there. Yeah, yeah, but like like short, stocky guys, I couldn't I couldn't get it on them. What about the buggy choke? I am not flexible enough to do that. Have you tried? Yeah, I've tried. I try like every year. Blow your ACL out. <laughs> I've, been, I've been trying like every year for like the last six years. I just can't. <laughs> I can't physically reach the position where yeah. I need it. Yeah. So we're short. We're short and thicker, so it's, it's yeah. harder. So if you're if you're listening to this, you don't know what we're talking about. The reason why I find these two submissions interesting is because the obviously the Ezekiel. If you can have a threat from the mount. Or a threat from the bottom side control, even as a hail mary, it's still something, right? right. That you could you could kind of play with. So, uh, Jake, can you pull up a picture of the buggy choke, just in case anybody listening to this doesn't know? If you don't uh, know what this is, you should check out the Rule Tula Brothers. They're the ones that I think have brought this out, and it's basically an arm triangle or leg, arm leg triangle. It's some sort of triangle <laughs> from the bottom, yeah. the bottom side control. And uh, I'm afraid if I do it, I'm going to blow out my knee. But my students keep asking me. And I'm like, I don't know, man. I don't know if this is. I'm the guy to learn this from. But uh, I'm. I've never subbed anyone with it, but I can get into the position. Yeah, you're flexible. Yeah, and just getting into the position alone then creates space for you to get out. So I've never like tapped anyone with it, but I have used it to make the other person move on top of me in side control to then be able to get out. Yeah, you like to do that shit where you grab your legs like yeah. rubber guard. I don't anymore. So my, <laughs> one of my old training partners, uh, he has this guard from from from. Uh, bottom side mount it's like a whole system where he just attacks relentlessly and everything you do he's got an answer for it like the buggy choke is cool but that's a that's a that's a hail mary like you said right that's a haymaker that's a haymaker you throw yeah. it and if you don't get it you, you nothing right but unless you're alexi olenic and yeah. that motherfucker's got 20 of them like he's not hitting buggy chokes no i mean the ezekiel but that's a hail yeah. mary too right but he's so good at it he's got like 20 of them on his record he's got three or four in the ufc well the thing about it is if you, even if you don't have the choke you've they're so close, they can't really hit you, too. That's that's the other thing, is it controls the posture. Yeah. Right? So, at the very least, you know, you can do that to stall. You can control there. Yeah. Could you... I mean, if somebody had you... If you were a referee, which you are, and so am I, if you were had somebody inside the Ezekiel choke from the bottom mount, and you just hug, 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 would you stand somebody up from there? No, I wouldn't. Because it's, it's a submission. How long... What if you could hold it for, like, minutes? How long would you let somebody hold a rear naked choke before you stand them up? No, but, I mean, th- but this... you could, Because it looks more aesthetically... Pleasing? Is but, that why we're changing? Our well, I don't know. Do you remember the fight with uh, Andre Arlovsky and Roy Nelson? I don't remember that one specifically. Yeah, Roy Nelson had him in the side control. They stood him up, and then Arlovsky knocked him out. Side control. Roy had him in the in the top side. I don't agree with standing people up in the first place. Me neither. Never. I don't. Really, I don't even agree with standing standing uh, the person up when there's one guy standing and there's one guy um, in the recumbent position. I think you know what? Let's be fair about this. Let's start. Let's start. Giving the grappler some some love, make him go in his guard. <laughs> if you're gonna make that guy stand up in a real fight, there's there's no rule. Yeah, why would it be any different, right? <laughs> right? Yeah. Why is that? Yeah. I think I think okay. At this point, if you choose to stay on the ground, um, then I should be allowed to throw soccer kicks, and you can stay on the ground. And now now it's yeah, you know, let's. Because the reason I don't want to engage you is because I don't have all my weapons. If I'm the standing guy, most likely, right? I can't stomp you. I can't soccer kick. I have to bend over and punch you and put myself all close to submissions. 
and you're allowed to do everything that you can do from the bottom. You can upkick me, you can throw up any submission. So I pull away because it's not fair for me, and then you have to stand up. But it kind of shapes the way the engagements go, because it's always kind of favored. You're starting standing, separated, and every time you're in a situation where one wants to fight up and one wants to fight down, they always favor the guy who wants it up. So that's why you were seeing less and less finishes. I think if you change that around, so you made people start in the clinch. <laughs> yeah. Right? You it's made people which, start. Which is hilarious that we laugh about that, but it's no less arbitrary than standing people up when they're on the ground. Right. Well, the, the idea that we start on opposite sides of a cage to fight, that never happens in real life. They should, you should be starting in a full sprint at each other. Yeah. And then like once you get three or four steps into your stride, the bell rings, and then just <laughs> chaos ensues, which well, is more realistic, right? Two people just kind of flying each other. Well, a lot of times when you see like an altercation on the street, it's, it's two people who aren't really sure that they want to take it to that next level, and they're kind of like pushing and pawing and grabbing at each other, and then one person's like, you know what, and they just throw a strike, and then you're in a fight. Yeah. But you're already in that clinch range. I mean, that's not to say every time, but that's not an uncommon situation. That happened to me here. Did I tell you this? I don't know if I told this story on the podcast, but this was maybe uh, two week, no, two months ago, something like that. Uh, and this is funny because this is imagine the Singaporean mentality, and it's exactly manifests itself in this way, right? I'm walking home from uh, from work, some yeah, I think from work, and it was maybe eleven eleven thirty or something like that. Yeah. And Charmaine and I are on our way down from the street, and I see these two Chinese dudes like screaming at each other in Chinese. They're like face to face, and they're sticking their forehead right in each other's face, right? They're just screaming. They're standing in the middle of the road, just in front here, where you where you pulled up. Mm. And so Charmaine and I are walking, and there's like cars that are driving down the road, and the cars are stopped because these two guys are sitting there, face to face, and they keep headbutting each other. They're like nose to nose, screaming at each other. They're both wasted, mm. right? And they're stuffing their foreheads against each other, and then they'll be like, oh, and they fucking headbutt each other, and they're sitting there headbutting each other with their arms down at their side, like just screaming at each other, headbutting each other, neither guy wants to throw a punch, right? They're yeah. too afraid to actually throw the punch, so they've just resorted to fucking headbutting each other. And so, like, I walk by, and I mean, I have to pass them, there's no way to avoid it, and all these cars are like, ran, ran, they're hitting the horn and everything. So I, <clears throat> I go up, and I'm like, guys, you got to get the fuck out of the road. The guy goes, boom, and pushes me, and then I can see Charmaine in the background go, because she <laughs> thought I was going to deck this dude, right? But they're so drunk, right? I'm yeah. not going to, what am I, I'm not going to do that, right? So the guy pushes me, and he goes, in, in broken English or something, he's like, oh, not your problem, not your problem, not your problem. And I'm like, no, not my problem. I don't care. Just get the fuck out of the road. Right? <laughs> get out go, of the road. go do it. Find me. Is that right? Yeah, it's like, just get out of the road. So finally, they end up going out of the road. But for the next 10 minutes, I can still hear them all the way up here just rah, rah, screaming at each other. And I can just imagine them in the back of my head just fucking headbutting each other <laughs> over and over and over again. And so it's just posturing. Right? Yeah. It's just a... It's an alpha thing. It's a status thing. No one wants to back down, but they're both too chicken shit to actually throw a punch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is typically what street fights will see until one guy actually escalates it. But, you know, when you're dealing with Singaporeans, it's all bark, zero bite, right? Uh, I think they're also thinking in the back of their head about the repercussions of... Yeah, they don't, they don't mess around. This is, this is as far as we can go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and we so go home to our families. I can 30 times, yeah. and that, but I cannot throw a single punch. Yeah. I mean, but the guy was bleeding. The guy was bleeding. I mean, they were headbutt like hard. Like, sounds like two goats ran into each other or something <laughs> like that, right? But yeah, it was, it was interesting because they, yeah, I would probably do the same thing. I wouldn't escalate it. You know, I would do a little, little trip or something and just kind of like hold the dude or something, but I wouldn't hit anybody ever. Yeah. Even if someone hit me, I would just grab them, you know. Do whatever. Yeah, I don't know. I think once they give me that free pass. If somebody <laughs> headbutted you, what would you do? I'd be impressed if they were able to get that low. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, you don't want to headbutt the shorter guy. Yeah, he's, right. got, he's got the advantage there. I'll probably hand him a towel. <laughs> <laughs> you all right there, partner? <laughs> That's funny, man. Yeah, yeah the, I don't know. It's funny. Even the old school days of... of Jake, you and I have talked about headbutting on this podcast way too much. Yeah, it, it yeah. comes up very comes up regular. a lot. Yeah. We, we, had this, we went on this kick for a little while. Where we were like breaking down street fights and shit like that. And all of them, inevitably, they ended up headbutting each other. And I'm like, I didn't realize that was a go-to move for pretty much everybody. I think the only the only real street fight that I've seen in Singapore that I can remember are these two drunk white guys. And I think the one guy was, he was much shorter, like much shorter though. Like headbirds work if you're like a half a head shorter, but not if you're like two heads short. He's like two heads shorter than the other guy. And I think he tried to like ram man headbutt him like three times. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, is this really happening? Is this... Is this guy actually trying to hurt this other guy, or is he just being funny? You know, yeah, you can't <laughs> tell the difference. Because he was jumping, he was jumping, but his head couldn't reach the other guy's chin. <laughs> oh man, that's then, like the other guy was like just kind of like, "What are you doing?" Like holding his arms apart, like, "What are you doing, man?" Like the other guy's just ram man jumping at his head, and I think he finally got irritated and threw an overhand and knocked him out. Oh, oh shit! <laughs> yeah. And that guy was never heard from again. Yeah, he looks like this, right? <laughs> he's out of there, you know. Yeah. Oh, you gotta run. You yeah. Gotta, I mean, you, you gotta, gotta get CCTV somewhere, but you gotta run straight to the airport and get on the plane. Yeah. 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 When was the last time you were in a street fight? Um, probably. I mean, I wouldn't call it a real street or fight. Or just any sort of like actual physical altercation. Yeah, probably when I was working at House of Blues when I was like in my 20s. Yeah, but it, wasn't, it was not never me that started these things, right? I'm all, you know I'm chill, right? Yeah. And I don't want to like get into a fight at work. It's, they don't pay me enough for that. But I, I imagine in your 20s you're probably less chill. I certainly was. I was slightly less chill, but I mean... Still, it's not yeah. my. You're still not, you, right? I'm not. I'm not angry at anybody for wanting to sneak backstage. That's probably what I want to do too. But at the end of the, I mean, like, you ask someone to leave, and if they throw a punch, then you know. Is that what happened? Yeah, more or less. So, uh, it was a much bigger guy too. There's no weight classes, right? So. And <laughs> so what happened? I took him down and choked him out. I, I took him down. I, actually, I didn't have the intention to choke him out. I took him down. Were you training? <laughs> Instant kick. Yeah, I was, I was. I was training with Barrett. Oh right. So I was. I mean, I was training at a competitive gym, right? Barry Yoshida for yeah. the listeners. Yeah. And I, I took him down, and I remember thinking, like, uh, okay, I'll just hold him here, and then eventually, like, somebody will come, and we'll we'll call the police if we have to do that, and nobody gets hurt. Everything's fine, right? And so, because he's so much bigger than me, I, I'm riding his back, right? I'm, I'm, I've got, uh, I don't know if I've got hooks in. I think I've got rear mount. I think he's belly down. But I'm like, I, I need to uh, control his head to control his posture. Otherwise, he gets up and he's mm-hmm. much bigger than me. I'm gonna have a problem, right? So I cross face him. I cross. I put my my forearm across his face like this. But I'm not choking him. I cross face him, and he, he reaches down and he uh, he bites into my oh my forearm. Yeah. And I'm thinking at this time, I'm like, oh, this might be a life or death situation, right? This guy's yeah, yeah he's clearly off yeah, his head. Yeah, he's yeah. he's not really playing, you know, nice. So yeah, once you bite somebody, it's <laughs> yeah. That's so, an escalation, right? That's a heavy escalation. So I was thinking, like, the options were rolling through my head. Like, what can I do, you know? So I was like, option one, I could let him bite all the way through my forearm. Then I'd have the ability to use it again, move it again, right? But once he bites the chunk out, and I guess I walk out of the situation alive. It's like, I don't really like that how that one plays out, though. I have a big chunk missing out of my forearm. I like my forearm, so. Yeah, I like uh, my forearm. <laughs> and I remember Barrett. I used them to masturbate. I really don't want to. <laughs> when we were training, Barrett would do stuff like he would put his forearm on my teeth. And he would, like. Really choke through, choke through my teeth, yeah. And I, and I was thinking, like, it's you'd actually tap, you know. It's not, it's not just because it's super uncomfortable. It's like I think you actually might go out or die or something. I don't know. <laughs> like it felt, it just felt really terrible. Like it just shuts you off. Too. And you know what's weird about that? Once you get deep enough, you can't bite down anymore. 
Yeah. Right? Like, if it's shallow, yeah. you can bite down. But once you get back there, you can't bite anymore. Yeah, so that's what I did. I, I said, you know what? I'll just, I'll just choke him through his mouth. My, his, my forearm's in his mouth. I'm just going to choke him through his mouth. So I, I pulled in. I started choking him through his mouth. And I did that for, like, a few seconds. And I wanted to see if he would release the bite. And so when he did, I put it under his chin. I was like, i got to put him out. It's just too dangerous to deal with this guy. Like, like just trying to hold him down. Because obviously he's biting me. And if he's, if he's willing to bite my forearm, what's he going to do if he's actually able to get up? Right. This Were you guy, like a blue belt at this or white belt or? Uh, yeah, I was. I was a blue belt. I think I'd been training at this time maybe three years, and I'd had a handful of fights. Oh, so you were already pretty experienced with that enough to deal with a bigger dude who knew nothing and. I mean, apparently, but I, I would say that. But you didn't know that time. <laughs> I mean, if this guy, moment, hit, right? this, he's much bigger than me. So I'd say if this guy hit me. I'm talking to him, like one one ninety, probably ninety. To 100 kilos like American fat or like no, jacked like this is the west coast so nobody's fat there right they're just like an all athlete, sexy athletic yeah <laughs> athletic tall surfer boy kind of you know what I mean so yeah I was thinking like uh, yeah this is this is okay while I'm here <laughs> like, exactly. like if, we, if we get back up to the feet again or something or if this guy grabs a hold of me and I, I lose my balance we're on the concrete too you know that could be be pretty bad you don't want any space between you at all right like, yeah and I don't even want him grabbing a hold of me if he's gonna be like if I'm not controlling him, right? Imagine if like, I just grab, if I just we just end up clinched. He's just so much bigger. He could just you don't know what guy's been training. He could have been a, a wrestler or a fucking Navy SEAL or yeah, who, especially in San Diego. Bro. Yeah, man, could have been yeah, military actually, for yeah. sure. Yeah. So actually, this this brings me to another. As we're going down memory lane, Major and I were having some drinks last week, and we started telling these stories about when you and I were younger. Because what year did you start training? 2006 for that's, MMA, yeah. That's exactly the same. I started in 2000. Uh, I started wrestling in like 2004, maybe, but I started jujitsu in 2005. Yeah. So oh, exactly, pretty much the same time. Well, I started wrestling in '95, to be fair. So oh, really? <laughs> yeah. oh you did some kid. Some yeah. Well, I'm old. <clears throat> so yeah, <laughs> old bro. I'm old bro. Yeah, I'm, I'm almost 10 years older than you. Yeah. I think so. Yeah, '95. That's a junior high. That's when we start. That's when I started too. Was it was in junior high? Yeah. But yeah, my uh, BJJ I started in 2005 because yeah, I graduated in 2007. Yeah. And anyway, you and I were going through these stories of what it was like. You know, it's funny because uh, I, I talked to a lot of people in Singapore, as as I'm sure you do, and especially the younger guys, right? The people that are maybe considering careers and opening up a gym or being trainers or being instructors or you know whatever the case may be right you talk to these young guys and and you sort of pick the brain of what the mentality is like for generally a young singaporean who's trying to maybe become a jiu-jitsu instructor or a boxing coach or maybe they want to fight or you, you deal with a lot of these certainly more than i do in terms of young competitors but the the space that they come from and you know Without saying any names or anything like that, you get the guys that made the purple belts, the brown belts, the guys in their mid-20s that start to consider being a coach and they, they sort of expect things to happen faster, right? Like maybe they're purple belts and they're already thinking they're going to open up a gym, they're going to do this, they have all these plans about this thing they want to go through, but they, they really don't know the work that goes into it and all of the problems of how it was for like me and you, especially in the U.S., when there was no route to becoming an instructor in this. Like, when I started, my coach was a blue belt. There was no black belt within 100 miles of where I lived. Yeah. There was no path. There was no thing. And you and I both, we were telling these stories. And I actually hadn't, hadn't heard these stories for you. And both of us share a, a common theme that when you and I were young, we both lived in our cars yeah. while we were going through the path of, like, growing up and starting to train. And, 
And you and I were both telling these, these crazy stories while we were drinking together that I thought it would be fun to, to share on the podcast of like what the struggle was like. In your case, and, and I'll just outline it and then you can go into detail. I mean, in your case, you literally uprooted your entire life and moved all the way across the country just so you could get some quality training, which involved you like living in your car. Yeah, yeah. Right? So, and you know, I had a similar story. You go first, man. Tell, tell me what it was like when you were in your 20s and you decided like I need to like, follow this through and the struggles that you went through and, and all of the, the crazy stories you were telling me the other day. I don't know, man. I think in the States, maybe we just grew up with more romantic ideas about following our passion, you know? Because no one looked at you badly like if you were chasing your dream, you know what I mean? Because that's what I was doing. I was chasing. Even if you're poor, right? Yeah, even if you're poor. But it was like, I was voluntarily poor, I guess, right? I was voluntarily poor. I already finished uni. I had a good job for a couple of years, and I was like, but, this sucks. I'm gonna but the American yeah. ethos does kind of uh, romanticize that more yeah. than like Singapore, right? Yeah, for sure, for sure. I, I don't know. I mean, I feel like people can see, like, the beauty in it here, but the, everyone feels like that's too far out of reach for them to, to chase a dream, to give up financial stability and chase a dream. But, yeah. But, yeah, for me, that was, uh, that was a fun time, you know, because you, you, you're following the path that's set out for you your whole life. You're going to elementary school in the, in the States, and you're going to high school, and then you're just kind of doing what you're told, doing what you're supposed to do, doing what you're expected to do. You're going to college. You, you pick something that, you know your parents are happy with and then you go find the job is because that's what your parents wanted that's what society wants and then you know most of us just kind of stay in that until we die but there is a there's a point where i was like man i'm young i don't have a wife i don't have kids i don't enjoy this job i don't need to be here right now at this point in my life like the one thing that i do enjoy is when i get to go down and train um i would like to see how far i can go i've, I've won a few fights let's see if i can make it big you know or if i can go any further than this if i were able to uh, focus all my energy on this or a large a larger portion of my energy on this and then you know just uprooted everything moved across the country and and then get there didn't know anybody so if you don't mind me going back a little bit so uh you started training in michigan yeah when yeah. you were like in high school or jiu-jitsu something like that college after college right after college yeah and then so what was the straw that broke the camel's back uh, having grown up in michigan and gotten your degree and, and everything where you decided you needed to go somewhere else where you could really pursue this further so I had like just finished my second year working for the government and I was thinking like dude this sucks like this my life is going nowhere I mean it, I mean I was getting the pay increases that you're supposed to get and everything but I mean it's like is this going to be the rest of my life am I, I going to stay here and have my two weeks of vacation time a year and that's the world I'll know is two weeks at a time maximum right or am I going to go travel the world and do what I want to do or like try out the things that I'm passionate about you know like what kind of regrets am I going to have at 70 years old is it going to be I wish I had tried this, <laughs> you know, I wish I'd given it my all, and I, I chose comfort and stability, and, and I, I had a meaningless life, like, that's, that's kind of what I felt, I was, I was, think I was thinking about the 70-year-old man I might be one day, or 80-year-old man that I might be one day, and I don't want to have those regrets, you know, so. So then you decided you were, you were just going to uproot and move to, to California? Yeah, I did like a, a few hours of research. <laughs> I did a few hours of research and I made a massive life threw, decision. I threw a dart at a map anyway. Yeah. yeah, I looked. I looked at LA. I looked at uh, San Diego, and I looked at Vegas. I, th I think at the time that was past the Militage era. I think a lot of guys were out in Vegas, and they had uh, they had Legends up in LA, which was like at the time that was a pretty cool gym too. But it's like dude, it's LA. It's super expensive. It's kind of shitty because it's LA. And then San Diego had a bunch of really good gyms. 
and I was I saw the I saw Barrett was down there. I was like, oh Barrett, because I was I always knew like I always looked up to Barrett when I was like watching ADCC because he was like that young kid like flying arm barring like these legendary black belts that you know he'd be like the, the, your equivalent to like a like a Nicky Ryan or or like a Gordon Ryan just coming out and just smoking these legends back in the day out of nowhere. But yeah, so I saw his I saw he was there. I saw a bunch of other guys. Um, and I saw like I looked at their schedule. I'm like, wow, these guys really have like all day long, every day. They can just train, you know. And so that was why I picked San Diego. And, and it was like probably the best choice, honestly, because um, it's just like amazing weather. Like if you have to sleep in your car someplace, that's that's the best place to do it. It's like 24 degrees every day. Yeah. So get to get to this story, right? Because you 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 basically drove, right? Mm -hmm. You you uprooted your life from Michigan. You packed whatever shit you could in your trunk, and then you just went to California. Did you have anything in mind did you have a place to stay did you have, i mean obviously you know spoiler alert you ended up staying in your fucking car so yeah so i mean what was the game plan when you got there what what happened and why did you end up sleeping in your car actually it wasn't like that because when i moved there i didn't have a car so i, I had sold my car already and then uh so i was, flew yeah i flew and then I, so i was thinking <clears throat> i won't need a car because it's a big city but on the West Coast, that's not how things work. It's not like New York or Singapore or something like that. Yeah. So you, I actually, I was like, okay, I need a car. So I ended up buying a car, and I was, I was uh, rooming. We, I was actually in a pretty comfortable place for a while. I was rooming with one of my friends or one of the training partners for um, a good part of the year, and then suddenly he just up and moved to Vegas. I didn't know the lease had expired. And then I was like, oh, shit, I have to find a place. <laughs> like, like, this is probably where most people will just go home or something, you know? I was like, nah, you know what? I'm, gonna, I'm just going to sleep in my car. This will make life easier. I'll just park next to the gym. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. I'll wake up, and then I'll go, I'll go train. And it was funny because Barrett would actually walk over, and then he would knock on my window at like 6.30 in the morning, and then I would just get up. and then Time to train. Yep, go shower. And you're just go like, train. okay, yeah. let me just pull my, my fucking car seat up, and <laughs> yeah, yeah. dust it off. And that go. was it, yeah, yeah. And then you also mentioned uh, you mentioned that War Machine was a person that you, uh, John Coppenhaver, formerly, yeah. the artist formerly known as John Coppenhaver, was mm -hmm. your roommate yeah. in those early days. Uh, if you don't know, I mean, this, this is funny, right? If you don't know War Machine, uh, Jake, can you do me a favor? Uh, War Machine was a MMA fighter. He was an ultimate fighter. He was on the season of the ultimate fighter. Kind of famously went to jail, got out, and he started uh, dating the porn star Christy Mack. Yeah. And... Uh, you know, ended up having some domestic violence issues with her, with her, and then some crazy shit like chopped off her fucking hair. Like she's, she's all fucked up, right? She had to get surgeries and like some crazy story. And uh, can you pull pull him and, and Christy Mack up there? Yeah. So put that on the main screen. So bring it up. So oh, that's not a good look. Yeah. So uh, you know, he ended up. Yeah, that's it right there. Put that up on the, the main screen. If you're if you're listening to this podcast, you should check it out on YouTube. If you don't know who War Machine is, so so that's him right there with the super fine Christy Mack. And uh, they had some crazy uh, domestic abuse thing where he, he ended up like cutting off her fucking hair. She had to get like surgeries and she has to wear wigs like the rest of her life. And they had this crazy like domestic abuse thing. And you, you, ended up, you were roommates with this guy for how long? A little less than a year. A little less than a year. Yeah. And what, what were your thoughts on this guy when you met him? A little bit out there, but you know the thing is, most people, the th most people are judged by the worst thing they do. Yeah. And you don't know like the the good things a person is capable of or the good things that a person does. Because actually, I thought he was a little bit crazy, like, like, but but in like a fun way, 
You know, like he of course he get in fights, but this is America. Yeah. People people would get in fights, but he'd also he'd also take a lot of these these street kids and he uh, he help them with their homework and even give them allowance and stuff like that. Remember, all my my gear got stolen out of my car. I didn't have any money. He bought me all brand new gear, like all all the gear. Like he's a good guy actually. Well, it's important. But he just has a terrible temper sure. and it goes off the, it goes off the handle pretty fast. You know. Well, it's important to remember that we're not people aren't one thing. We're right. not one thing that we do. We're an amalgamation of bad decisions and good decisions and, you know, you're, you're right. We're often based on our worst decisions and some people's worst decisions are, you know, significantly worse than others. But, you know, I, I just, it's this cancel culture, this, this, I mean, obviously what he did to her was fucking brutal and he, I think he deserves to be in jail, but that doesn't mean that he didn't have good qualities and, sorry, and it doesn't mean that he didn't do nice things and we're not, we're not one thing. We're not the worst thing that we do. But uh, it's interesting to get your, your feedback on them. So anyway, continue on with your story, man. So you're, you're rooming with this guy. You were, you were living in your car, and you mentioned your buddy Bob as yeah. well when, when we were sitting there. And he was a guy that kind of helped get you out of that rough spot where you're fucking struggling, barely getting by, living in your car. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't know. That's, I guess that's maybe the, the sense of community that, that a lot of good gyms have. You know, it's everybody kind of looks out for each other. It's a family, right? So... So yeah, Bob's like an older guy. He's like my age now, probably. Uh, he then he was he then was about my age now. Forty something. Forty something, yeah. So he had like a full house and everything with extra bedrooms. And he's like, bro, what are you doing sleeping in your car? Like, come crash in my place. Yeah, and it was cool because Bob was like, he's a a really good jujitsu guy and really chill, and so taught me the taught me a lot of stuff about jujitsu and old man stuff, and like wine and. <laughs> and then how, yeah. how long did you train at this place before you ended up making the move to Taiwan? About three years. Three years. Yeah. So you, over time, you, you started to, you know, get some experience, get some training, get a little bit more financial stability. And, right. But yeah, I mean, this, this goes back to my point about, you know, the struggle that it takes to, that people don't realize, because, you know, they may see you now. They might look at your your highlights when you're fighting in one. They might see like the the fucking hundreds of students. We're eventually going to get to the Singapore Grappling Invitational, and literally like 95 percent of the people competing in that fucking tournament have trained under you. Yeah. Like, like so you're in your uh, WLC, a world lethway ref. You've obviously been a a, a fighter in one championship. You're a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. You've got tons of students. Like, but they don't see that shit. That like decision to uproot your life to move halfway across the country and live in your fucking car. And then, by the way, when that happened, it would still be another, what, 10 years? Yeah. Before you'd really get traction? Yeah. Yeah. So, hopping around everywhere, man. Going, I went to Taiwan. Didn't speak any Chinese. Didn't know anyone there. And I, I was there for a year trying to, what, trying to chase the whole dream, trying to find that perfect balance, you know? The, the problem was, like, in a place where you get good training, you might not get um, enough opportunities for fights like i was in all of all of the famous guys camps but nobody's gonna waste their time on a on a on an unknown fighter with a with a low record right because you're like a like a journeyman level fighter right you you've got dominant Cruz in your camp you can get 10 percent of that paycheck why do you care about some guy from michigan you know just throw him in dom's camp he'll get the work but he Forget about getting that guy a fight. Yeah. What's ten percent of whatever their feet they're paying that guy? <laughs> we don't care, you know. Yeah. So I thought maybe I'll go in Asia. There's a lot more guys my size, a lot more fight opportunities. Now, so the problem is like it's it's a delicate balance. Like I went to Taiwan and bro, they were like, 
they were like a couple years away from trying to stop takedowns with fireballs. They were they were still like very primitive when I got there. Yeah, yeah. It took a couple seconds for them to land on me. Yeah, yeah. Hadouken. Yeah. <laughs> they thought their Tai Chi was gonna. I mean, there's there's guys that really still believe that when I got there. Oh, yeah. This is like in what, 2010. People, there's guys that believe that here. Now, yeah. There's nah. people that believe that now. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, but no, there are. I, less. When I was a teacher at the Korean school in Singapore, I got into an argument with one of my colleagues. I mean, at this point, I'm already a brown belt, right? And I'd already mm-hmm. fought pro, amateur, everything, and then wrestled and all this shit. And I got into an argument with one of my colleagues who thought that somewhere in like the mountains of Tibet, there would be this like 50 year old master mm-hmm. who would be able to who spent his whole life dedicated to this. Who'd be able to beat me in a professional MMA fight? <laughs> and I'm like, what? You actually? And he's like, yeah, man. You know these old guys? And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? I don't think anybody under fifty thinks that anymore, though. He was like 29 <laughs> at that time. Really? I mean, you know, you get the uneducated guys who grow up on like 80s kung fu movies or whatever that yeah. still think. And I was just like, dude, you got to be kidding! I couldn't believe that he actually thought that. And I'm literally like, are you kidding me? I like, spent I spent like 10, 15 years preaching the gospel to these guys who 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 still believe that. And at this point, like, I just find it cute, you know? Yeah, like, exactly. I don't even care anymore. It was an novel. That's why yeah. I remember it. Yeah. I actually didn't think people still thought that. And then yeah. this guy brought it up, and I'm like, oh damn, this guy's from California. Yeah. Some of my students' parents think still have a very simplistic view of martial arts. <laughs> like, I, saw, I remember one of the kids, like, his dad came to a tournament. I think he, he lost or something like that. He's like, ah, why do you let the guy get on top of you? Uh? Yeah. <laughs> next, time, next time you just push him off. I'm like, <laughs> if only I thought yeah. about that. Oh, why did you think that? <laughs> yeah, that's funny, man. But yeah, so if you don't mind me interjecting with my yeah, yeah. living Let's in your car story. story. I mean, it's the same shit, right? Like pe- people just don't know the grind that you yeah. actually have to go through. By the way, it, it by any definition that I'm called successful, which is a low fucking standard, let's go ahead and be honest with this, by any standard, it's only happened recently within a few years. And even that is just like, okay, I can get by, mm-hmm. right? I'm not fucking massively successful, but now I'm finally getting enough traction where at least I can make it my source of income and my lifestyle, mm-hmm. right? I'm still on the low end of what I would deem as successful, but at least I can pay my bills and shit and support my family and all that kind of stuff, right? But the, the getting there was brutal. And I had a same, similar story. I lived in my car for almost a month. Yeah. And it, it was the same thing. Like, I don't know how graphic I should get in this story, but I'm, I've had a couple of beers. I'm just going to go for it. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, uh, I, I'm, and I told you the story, but so I'm 16 years old. And I was going to this uh, high school that, you know, I, I'm adopted. And my mom had trouble raising me because it was difficult to afford me. So... I always ended up bouncing around between family members, like family friends, and it got to the point where I'd be going to like three or four different schools a year because I would just get kind of passed around and my mom would take me when she could and then I'd get moved around and, and all that kind of stuff. And I eventually uh, settled with my sister on my dad's side because the goal was that I would end up just staying at this high school right, that I was going to and I wouldn't have to switch schools again. So, uh, <laughs> and this side of my family is very religious, like super Christian. And uh, they were very, very conservative Christian, like really, really, like church two or three times a week. And here I rock up, right? They got like a bunch of young kids. I don't want to say their names, but they're all biblical and super, super religious, right? And uh, I said before I started the story that I don't know how crazy I want to get with the story, but I'm just going to tell you guys straight. So so I came home one day and uh, I had my my girlfriend at the time, let's let's just say she came home with me, (laughs) okay? So... uh, there's the main house, and then there was this little, uh, not a garage, but like a little side house, right? Had like, you know, some shit in it, some place where people could sleep, and there was a bed in there. 
So naturally, I'm like 16 or whatever. I bring the girl back. We go to that little room. We start fooling around, right? As you do when you're when you're 16. And what I'd done was I parked my car like two blocks away with the hopes that like no one would find out that I was there, right? I don't know how they found out that I was there. <laughs> but, but was it the sex sounds? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. We were trying to keep it. We were trying to keep it on the DL, right? But anyway, so me and her are fooling around doing whatever, and then all of a sudden here. Right, I just know immediately that I'm fucked because the house is in the yard, yeah. so no one else is gonna be knocking on that gar- on that door. So I'm immediately like shitting myself. Right, I'm like, oh man, I know I'm fucked. So of course I end up having to open the door. I'm like half naked, and the girls more more than half. <laughs> and uh, so I know already that I'm screwed. I see my sister, and then I see her two kids, and I don't exactly remember what was said, but all I remember is that. I hear the, 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 one of the two daughters, I think she was maybe seven or eight at the time, she goes, oh, you're in trouble? And I was just like, oh, God, right? So what ended up happening was I, uh, you know, of course, the cat's out of the bag, right? And also my girlfriend's parents are also very conservative. This is rural West Virginia, right? So everybody's really, really conservative. So my, my sister ended up arranging a meeting with me, my girlfriend at the time, her parents, my uh, sister and then their family, and we had to have like this basically sex intervention, right? Wow. Where they sat there, all of us, and talked about like, oh, you know, you're supposed to be married, and then I'm sitting here staring at her dad, right, as we're having this whole fucking. <laughs> He's super, cleaning his gun. Oh man, super <laughs> awkward conversation, dude. It sucked so hard, and they ended up getting to the point where they're, they're so uh, religious that they were like, you gotta get out. Like you got to get the fuck out of here. We can't have you around our kids because I was so <laughs> apparently I was so toxic that I couldn't even be around the kids or whatever, right? So they ended up kicking me out. I had nowhere to go, right? I mean, I was literally living there. So this was like conveniently ended up being like uh, around the time of a summer holiday. So it was like a couple weeks off of school or whatever. And so my best friend at the time, who's who's now my adopted brother, his family ended up adopting me. But this was before that. So what I did was. I would go and I would hang out with my, my now brother. I would hang out with him all day. At the time, he was my best friend. So it wasn't unusual for me to spend all day there. You know how teenagers are, right? We, we just go. They go to my house. I go to theirs. We end up spending the whole day. It wasn't uncommon for me to stay over there for like a couple days at a time. But it was pretty uncommon for me to stay there for like a week at a time, right? And then what I would do is, same thing. I would park my car like a few blocks away. And then I would leave the house, like leave their house like 9 or 10 o'clock at night and then I would go around the block and then I'd sleep in my car because I didn't want them to know I didn't have a place to stay because it's fucking embarrassing, right? So I proceeded to do this for two, three weeks, something like that. And then all of a sudden one day, uh, my my brother's parents, so my adopted parents, pull me in. So it's my brother and then it's my adopted dad and then my adopted mom and they sit there and they do the same thing. They sit me down on the couch, we're all sitting there and they're like, so Scott, my brother, told us that you've been living in your car for the last few weeks. And first of all, in my head, my immediate thoughts were, I'm going to get fucking kicked out again. Like, where the fuck am I going to go this time, right? And so, you know, I think they knew where my anxiety was coming from. And my brother had told them the situation that I got kicked out from my sisters. And uh, so they were like, listen, here's what we're going to do. We're going to legally adopt you. You can move in here. You're going to go to this school, the school that Scott, my brother, goes to where I'd, where I'd met him. And that way you could continue going to the same school. This is where I was wrestling. This is where I was. I started wrestling and started doing jiu-jitsu and everything. Actually, if they hadn't adopted me, I never would have done jiu-jitsu. Because the reason that I met the guy who took me into jiu-jitsu was it was when I was at living at my brother's house. 
and I was a drama kid, right? My, my degree's in drama. And one of the drama guys told me that he started jiu-jitsu because he found that I wrestled. And so he came over to my adopted house one day. We were just hanging out or whatever, and we started wrestling in the, the basement of my house that I was living in with my adopted family. And I remember I'd wrestled already for years, so I was like, I'm going to fuck this dude up. He was a yellow belt. Right, because I mean, we were we were sixteen. Kids race, yeah. Yeah, so so he was sixteen. I remember I took him down easily, right? Got on top of him, and he, he he didn't lock the triangle, but he had his ankles crossed with my head and arm trapped. And I sat in that motherfucker for like three or four <laughs> minutes, right? And I just could not get out of this. And I could tell that I was like getting choked a little bit because there were times where I'd like almost panic because I could feel the lights going out, and then I would just freak out, posture up, but I couldn't unlock the ankles. I didn't know how to escape the the move, and then. It got to the point where we eventually just got, both were so exhausted that I was like, okay, we'll, we'll just stop. And then I was like, wait, so just being on top doesn't necessarily matter because I was on top of him, but I couldn't do anything. And I didn't know how he was threatening me, but I knew I was being threatened. I didn't exactly know what was going on. So he ended up taking me to my first jiu-jitsu class. And, you know, I still had the, the wrestling base, so I picked it up really quick because I had already had some grappling experience. But... That is ended up what ended up leading me to jujitsu, and it was all this crazy story of living in my car for weeks, being afraid to tell everybody what was going on. Ultimately, it started me on my path that I didn't even know I would be on. And then, you know, here it would have been, you know, I was sixteen. So, ten years later is when I started to be like that. I was already teaching at that point. I'd moved to Singapore, and then I was like, you know what? I think you can actually really, really make a career out of this. And then, you know, finally, seven, eight years after that, I finally started to earn a little money. But, man, this had been 15 years of grappling, of doing martial arts and everything before I even got a job where I was earning, like, 2K a month in Singapore, right? But it was enough that I could, like, at least barely get by and pay my bills. But my point is that the struggle you had to go through in the early days when you and I started doing this, when there was no path. You couldn't, like, fly to California and go to Atos, and then spend your time there. And I didn't have enough money, neither did you, to where we could just, you know, it's not like a lot of the, the kids in Singapore where they got, you know, the parents will pay for shit. and they Sponsored can, by mom? Yeah, sponsored by mom or people putting up the the support me thing, the GoFundMe so that they can go have their camps in California. That shit didn't exist. Yeah. I didn't even have a computer. I didn't even have a cell phone. Yeah. Right? So the, the path was, there was no path. And you just saw the skill level of some of these people, like the purple belts or whatever. You, you had some black belts, so you, you had that higher standard. But I didn't have any of that. We just had to kind of, like you say, fall into this. And you have that debate in your head. And it was the same thing when I used to be a teacher. I was a school teacher. And, you know, I was earning like 4.5K a month doing that. And then I was like, am I going to give up that for, who? what, 2K a month? Like, I literally cut my salary in more than half. And then I had, that's when I was a trifecta. And I had to move in with the Brazilians and the Thais and live in this little tiny box. when I was already earning really good money in Singapore. But I had to make the decision that, okay, I'm either going to do this job similar to you for the next 20 years, I'll get the pay increases, I'll be stable, but I was fucking miserable. It wasn't what I wanted to do. Mm. And I just had to make that decision. And it took until last year, once the gym broke even, and I could actually pay myself, which was literally last year, so I'm, I'm 32, so I was 31, that it got to the point where I could finally earn what I earned as a teacher eight years ago. So all of that, traveling, like training when I could, going to Evolve, just getting by, getting by, getting by. And then it finally got to the point, yeah, 15 years later where I could earn a decent amount of money. And then eight years later where I could finally earn what I earned when I was teaching. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, imagine the wealth I could have accrued if I just stayed there, but it was just not worth it because it wasn't what I wanted to do. And you have to make that decision. Like, so, you know, you see the young guys that are purple belts and they want to open up academies and they want to do all that stuff. And listen, all the power to you. Like, people can do it. But you're going to have to go through some shit because everybody, or imagine being the Brazilians here in Singapore. Imagine that lifestyle growing up. Yeah, yeah. Then come here and then finally be able to make a living off of it. You know, it's just like, man, you got to really go through some shit. This is a industry of savages. This is an industry of people who will literally fucking give up everything for the opportunity to choke people for money or to fight for money or whatever. Right? Like, I'll get concussed. How many fucking concussions did you get? How many punches to the head did you take? Life-altering decisions, money lost, all of that shit just so you could get to where you're at now at 40. To, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. processing that and the ability to make that decision is goddamn difficult. I think it's different for Americans because if guys like us, I mean, we were university graduates. We had the option to do other things if, if it were about money, but we chose to give that up because we pursued passion. I feel like a lot of the Brazilians didn't have those opportunities that we had. Um, even if they were to try to create them for themselves, for themselves, they didn't have even like a good opportunity to create um, a good lifestyle for themselves outside of you know jiu-jitsu. But imagine like somebody growing up in the favelas, right? So these guys, like they're that was their only option. It was to, they had jujitsu, and that's they, they got to ride that, you know, because that's ride the or die. It's their only option, right? Then in Singapore, it's it's like the other end of the spectrum. It's kind of like uh, these guys. A lot of the a lot of the guys, they never had to go through any adversity or any struggles. You know, they just kind of show up three times a week, and then they get a colored belt around their waist, and now they want to teach. So it's it's an interesting thing. We're kind of like that weird happy medium where it's like we've gone through this struggle, but it was because we were passionate about it. I guess that's uh, a unique thing about us that separates us from maybe the rest of the the coaches here, you know. And then, by the way, there's, yeah. there's, this, this is no disrespect to those people that are. No, who, man, that's awesome that they're that. You but know. that's that's the first step, right? Yeah. I mean, that's one step, and then you're, it's still going to be years down the road before yeah. you can build and build and build, and even still, it's a struggle, right? I mean, yeah. it's still a struggle to 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 break even, to make the money, to be able to afford the things that you want to do, and the opportunities finally start to come. Yeah. But it, man, it takes a fucking, you got to go through the gauntlet in this industry because we're in the suffering industry. Yeah. So this, the whole thing that we're doing is built around suffering. Yeah. And if you want to get a job in the suffering business, you better be able to suffer more than everybody else, right? Yeah. You better be able to outlast these people because that's the nature of the business. And if you're not willing to suffer more, then, you know, you're going to be the one that's relegated to, you know, part-time or, or keeping it as your side piece and it's your passion and all that kind of stuff. But... You, it really does take a hefty, hefty commitment, right? Because this game is so complex. It's so nuanced. It's evolving so fast. If you don't stay on top of that shit, yeah. you're just going to get stuck behind. Yeah, that's for sure. That's for sure. And this is just part of the grind. But I, of course, you know, in hindsight, it's a bit romantic, right, to think about the struggle that you go through. But the reality is, would you want to do it again? Oh, yeah, for you, sure. You would want to? Oh, yeah, for sure. Oh, I wouldn't want to. I would. <laughs> But I certainly would. I would not. I would do it better. To, I would do it better. I'd make better decisions. Knowing what you know now, yeah, I'd make better. But decisions. if you could just, if you had to go blank slate, only knowing, not knowing where you would be, just knowing what you had to go through, you would probably still make the decision. But you'd be like, oh, "Fuck, here we go." Like, <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, it, the, the journey has been fun. Like, I never really thought of the end goal so much. I just thought of like, how cool would that be? I mean, look at it this way. What's it been? Uh, Thirteen pull that years, a little closer. Yeah. If, if just a tiny bit, yes. Yeah, Thir- Thirteen years, I guess, since I since I left Michigan. 
yeah, was it 2008 I left? What's it now? 2001. Oh, yeah, 13 years. 13 years? 13 years since I left. So 13 times 2, that would have been 26 weeks of vacation time. Yeah. I could have possibly had. I've been in Singapore for 10 years. I've lived all over. I've got to travel all over. Like, there's, there's no way I would have had this life experience. Even if I were at the upper management level right now at the office I worked at, I would still be relegated to two weeks uh, per year, you know? Well, that's the thing that I think makes us at least similar and unique in that, that context is we, we will give up the long-term safety for the experiences and for doing what we want to do, the passion. Yeah. And it's tough to make that decision, yeah. especially, you know, again, coming from the ethos of Singapore where they're very concerned about social status, how much you earn, security net, safety, all that stuff, which that stuff is important and I'm not discrediting that, but in this industry, you're going to deal with people who will sacrifice it all, who, who will be willing to do that. I mean, you're going to be hard pressed to find anybody in Singapore who's in our industry who doesn't have stories like this. Yeah. They all do. Find me one Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt in Singapore because they're either going to be Brazilians who grew up in the fucking favela. Yeah. They're going to be people that have come here from overseas that have some similar crazy stories. I mean, and that's the martial arts industry within Singapore for the most part. I think you're talking. What you're talking about is a different generation of of guys, though, because you're talking people who are black belts now that grew up in different places. Um, it was a different, a different world back then, I guess. You know, nowadays. And there's a path now. There wasn't a path then. Yeah, yeah. There's a path now. Like you, someone can train under you and get a black belt from you in ten, twelve years, and you can give them introduction classes, and then if they keep sticking with you, you can start to give them real classes, and then you can start to pay them a salary. Like that, that is a path available to people. Like if they get a black belt from you and they want to teach classes at your gym and they have, you would probably be like, okay, let's try this out. Oh, here's a base pay. And then if you can bring students in, if people want to train with you, we can start to pay you more. There's a path that's like pretty accessible relative to what we went through. Yeah. I think now, now the guys you see coming up now, they, they can go through a pretty comfortable path to black belt. I mean, back in the day, like, when we, when I was doing jiu-jitsu back in the day, like, when I go to fights, like, I was representing jiu-jitsu, you know? Like, it was, like, jiu-jitsu was, like, that flag I carried on my back, you know? It was like, all right, we're going to show these people that jiu-jitsu is for real. And that was, like, that was the mentality of people who trained jiu-jitsu back then. It was, like, we're showing that jiu-jitsu is dominant. Like, it's... Now you're it's carrying just, the flag, right? We're carrying the flag, bro. Through the punches, through the, through the elbows, we're going to make this shit work. But nowadays, it's kind of like, ah, oh, I got this Baron Bolo. It's a pretty cool sport. <laughs> <laughs> I do it on Tuesdays and Thursdays, you know? It's pretty... <laughs> like, and it's also like, it's also carrying the flag for the person who brought you there. Yeah. You know, I, I kind of feel like the, the jiu-jitsu black belt and the instructors here kind of get... Like, the mentality is a little bit more fluid than... I mean, for example, when, when I was growing up, there was like one... I mean, there wasn't even a black belt, but... You know, there was like one quality person that you could learn from. You don't have other options. I mean, here, man, I know so many students that are like, they'll do a year at one academy and they're like, okay, let me try out the other one. And then they'll go to another black belt. And then yeah. they're like, okay, let me check out this other training. And then they'll go there. It's like, that was not possible for us. No, so you're carrying the flag, not just for yourself and for your sport and for your martial arts discipline, but also for your coach. Yeah. Whereas now it's like, you know, any little thing, okay, we'll just go somewhere else. Yeah. Like there's other, t uh, however many other black belts or whoever just around the corner. And it's just like, yeah, all right, man, but. Flavor I mean, of the week, black belts coming in and out. Yeah. 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 But it's just like, you know, you know, I both talked about this ad nauseum about this, this idea of 
putting in the work toward your students. Yeah. And some reci- reciprocate that and they they let you know that they appreciate And then others, you're just like one step or one whatever. And that's a little sad, I feel like. It's not always like that. I mean, there's a lot of... My, all my students are fucking excellent, right? I have no issue with my students at all. But you do see that, you know, with... I feel like it's here more than it, man. Students just because the thing about Brazilians is they're very they're very tribal. Mm. So if you, if like if like I get a black belt from you and then I go to the other academy, now every motherfucker in this academy is going to try to kill. I'm going to see you at competitions. Yep. All my boys are coming for your head. Yep. Like we'll fucking dojo storm. Like that honor was was ride or die. Now it's just like all right, man. No one owns you, which is the right mentality, right? No one owns you. Like you can go to the other academy. That's fine. No one's going to stop you. But at the same time, it's like damn, man. Like yeah, yeah. You know. I tell you, the number of places to train in Singapore is insane. Like just from my house alone, obviously, you know, train down at Stronghold, but field assemblies, like within striking distance, I can get down Orchard, what you got down there, Evolve, Equilibrium. Like, I I don't think that, it's not like this in the rest of the world, is it? That you've got like 20 gyms to choose from. I think there's a direct, there's a direct correlation between, outside of Brazil, there's a direct correlation between GDP and, and black belts per capita. Yeah. Yeah, so that's what you're seeing in Singapore. It's it's a reflection of the wealth here. Well, and also it does attract outsiders, right? Because you can actually make a living. Like if I wanted to go open up a gym in West Virginia, maybe I could, but I'm not going to be. I'm going to be getting by barely. I'm not going to be able to like live a quality lifestyle where I can make savings and maybe afford a house and maybe you know like the population density wouldn't provide for it for one. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But then you look at the the average income of a person there. How much would you be able to charge? Oh, 50 bucks a month, like yeah. 100 bucks a month. But to be fair, a good portion of what we charge goes directly into the rent because the rents here are insane yeah. compared to... We could have a, a warehouse of a gym for less than what we pay here. Oh, easy. <laughs> That's why you can charge 50 to 100 bucks a month and yeah. literally have a warehouse. Yeah, I did. I had that once. I, I was in a place like that once where we, we had like literally it was a warehouse. And I think the fees were like 25 bucks a month because the, the whole warehouse, the rental was like 1,000 bucks a month. And it was just some guy who was like, you know what? I'm going to open up this gym to have a place to train. <laughs> like, yeah. And it's like a side piece, right? It's just, you know. It wasn't even for, him, for money. It was just like, he's like, I, I would like to have a place to train. He's like, if I charge 25 bucks a month, maybe people will help me pay half that rent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I know. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. But it, it does go to show you, you know, it's that old meme of yeah. like, I've seen it a few times of like, you know, and it does, it does trigger that American romantic thing in me where it's like, you know, quit your job, study martial arts. Find the skill, find the path, like do the, do the creatively artistic thing. Enjoy the suffering. Like I think the the meme that I saw was like Ryu from Street Fighter walking down. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. You've seen that one, right? Yeah, yeah. Can you find this, Jake? See if you can find. It's, it's, We're it's, all about memes on this podcast. Quit your job, travel the world, train martial arts, be awesome. Yeah, exactly. That Something was, like that. Yeah. See, see if you can find that meme. Yeah. Just for the you've probably seen it if you're listening to this podcast, but yeah, it's it's really interesting and it, it does trigger that that thing in me where I'm like fuck yeah like give it all but realistically I would not advise eh, I'd probably advise my kid to do that but it wouldn't be smart advice <laughs> yeah yeah it's exactly this one got it yeah yeah this is the one can you put that up on the screen I mean listen so yeah quit your job travel the world study martial arts be awesome die happy <laughs> I think die poor would be more accurate. Well, <laughs> and they're they're not mutually exclusive, right? <laughs> they're not because you know a lot of times happiness is not. I genuinely believe that the happiest people in the world are not the richest person. I don't think you have to be a fucking genius to know that. 
Like there are plenty of millionaires, super rich people that commit suicide. Like, or you know. the counter arguments that be Jeff Bezos make a massive penis rocket and fly into space. Oh, Jeff Bezos is loving it. He's he's fine. <laughs> <laughs> he's totally happy with his lifestyle. But oh, man, that, that triggers something to me. I get it. Okay, and I'm sure you do too. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Right. I mean, if it, if you if you think about it, like in the states, right? If we put the same effort into McDonald's, let's say like as a white belt, you start working at McDonald's just flipping burgers, right? By the time you're a blue belt, it's talking about what, two years probably. By the time you're a blue belt, maybe you're assistant manager. By the time you're a purple belt, maybe you're a manager. By the time you're a brown belt, maybe you're a district manager. I mean, if you're putting like sleep in your car if you do eight hours eight hours a day yeah you're sleeping, right? you're like sleeping a normal in, job yeah you're sleeping in your car effort like you're willing to get punched in the face effort on a daily basis into mcdonald's by the time you're a black belt you're a regional manager by the time you're a first degree black belt which is where i am now maybe i'm working in corporate somewhere you know earning a six figure seven figure income per year from mcdonald's because i was willing to put that much effort into it so if it's really about money if you're from a first world country like you can't really say that you do jujitsu because it was like for money, right? Because that would just, that would just be stupid. <laughs> like, literally, no one. Yeah. Literally, no one. Trust, yeah. trust us. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, really, that's not the path, bro. Go, go find a job at McDonald's. You, you'll be, you know, if you put, if you're willing to put as much effort in as I did to become a black belt um, at McDonald's, you, you'd probably be all right financially. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was when I, when I made the decision to quit being a teacher when I was working at the Korean International School. It was the same thing. And my literally in my head, my justification was. I'm not doing enough. Like, was, at that point, I'm working, you know, I'm working five days a week, nine hours a day, plus sometimes you have to go in on the weekend, you have to supervise CCAs. You know how Singapore schools are, yeah. right? Like, I mean, you're, you're doing a lot, right? Like, especially Korean schools. I mean, you're working all the time, right? And I, it, it got to the point where I was only training maybe once or twice a week. Maybe. Because I would leave work, I'd leave to go to work at like 7.30, work all day, work till like 4.30 or 5, then I would go to the 6.30 class, evolve, and maybe do two hours. I'd try to do two hours. By the time I get home, it's 11. Okay, so I'm leaving at 7.30 and I'm arriving home at 11 p.m. And it got to the point that after like a year of that, I'm like, okay, I'm only training once or twice a day. If I don't make the decision to physically make this my job, I'm not going to cut it. I'm not going to get there. Because I can't like, I can't do 100 hours a week for years, right? Of like doing it, going there. I mean, it's literally 100 hours a week. Yeah. From if, if I'm assuming that jiu-jitsu is my job and I have to go there after I finish work, I'm working hundreds of hours a week. And so I'm like, this is not sustainable. Right. And my whole decision was that I'm not doing enough. I'm bitching out. I'm not going to training. If I don't make the decision to physically fucking depend on this for my lifestyle, I'm not going to get to where I want to go. Because I wasn't working enough. I wasn't getting there enough. Mm. And no matter what I did, I couldn't go five days a week when I'm working all that time. I just couldn't get over the hump. So I was just like, fuck it. I got it. I have to do this or it's never going to happen. Right. That's interesting. Yeah. I had, you know, the funny thing is when I taught in an international school in Taiwan, um, like the first day I got there, I met a guy who had a gym. He's like, would you like to teach jujitsu? And I was like, yeah, I made that commitment. And then it was like, <laughs> it was literally like I was teaching every single day after I got off school, every single day. Cause I already made the commitment. I was like, and it was, uh, I think seven o'clock in the morning is when I would start teaching at school and then I would get off and I'd have like maybe two hours and then I would teach all night. And that was my Monday through Friday every day. But you know, that's still, I still felt like it wasn't enough. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I still felt like it wasn't because enough. then teaching is not the same as training. So yeah, then you, you jump you know, in and you get your roles and everything, but yeah, but you know yeah. what I'm realizing more and more my, my, like my martial arts have really went down. I'm always rolling and I'm always sparring, but I don't get to drill anymore. 
And when you don't get to drill, like, man, it's tough because that's really where I'm feeling the biggest disconnect because I, I can always jump in the, the rolls at the end of class, right? Jump right. in the sparring. But I have to supervise the drills because there's so many mistakes. That's where you really learn. Yeah. Right? As you go slow. And everybody in the class, you know, we got 10, 12 people in the class, COVID times. And so, you know, you have to do that. So I'm never drilling. So I can go in the, and, you know, I guess the white belts, I can do it, but I'm not getting 20 reps. It's like, oh, hit one move, and now we're in the next position. Okay, then here, even if it's a move I want to do mm. that I'm teaching, that I, I could, you know, I'm trying to do a cross-ashy entry. I only started doing those two years ago, right? right? When I got the Danaher DVDs, I started learning how to heel hook and, and do all of that shit. And, but I'm not, I'm getting the reps only in sparring, but it's one at a time. I'm not getting 20 reps at once. Mm. I know jiu-jitsu movement, so I can kind of get by, and I can hit it on my white belts and my blue belts. But as I go more and more and more, it's like, man, I'm not getting the drilling in. I would say that for me, because everybody learns a little bit different, so like drilling doesn't really help me as much as situational or, or li- situational is probably the best for me, at least for me personally. Some people drilling is probably better, but uh, I think that for me, where I feel like the uh, the decline in my performance came in in, uh, in coaching was that I needed to have answers for everybody's problems, not just mine. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like different body types, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. How do I do this if I'm seven feet tall? I'm like, ah, <laughs> I can't re- relate to that, but I'm going to, I better research that, you know, mm-hmm. go watch a bunch of lanky guys hit triangles and see how they close up the space and watch a bunch of DVDs on triangles and learn a bunch of stuff that I'm never going to use personally. Right. Mm-hmm. And I have to fill my brain and fill my time with a bunch of things that I'm not going to use personally because there are people in the room that need that information. And so I feel like that kind of distracts me from my own personal uh, for sure. growth. But and can I mean, I as a coach, can, it, that's the fork in the road, though, right? Because that makes me a better coach, but yeah. probably a, uh, not as good of a competitor. And can I add on to that? Because you and I are similar in this respect. That we're not just doing that for jiu-jitsu. We're doing that for boxing. Yeah. We're doing it for Muay Thai. We're doing it for wrestling. We're doing it for gi. We're doing it for no gi. I mean, I feel like you and I, our value in the Singapore martial arts market is not like you know, a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt that specializes in the gi. Right. Like if you come to you and me, you get a full martial arts experience. You know how hard it is to stay on top of boxing, gi, no gi, wrestling, jujitsu, MMA, Muay Thai. Like, dude, I'm literally I'm watching fucking bo- I'm watching Bang Ludwig videos. I'm watching the Danaher shit, which are like 300 fucking hours every single time I watch one. Yeah. The Lachlan Giles shit. I'm watching wrestling videos. I'm watch- like every day. I'm trying to like create this massive amalgamation of shit, and it's like imagine trying to do that with like each martial art in isolation is infinite. Right. There's so there's more than you can ever learn in a lifetime, and then you're trying to parse this out into the five other martial arts, and then the concept of combining them. Yeah, I so mean that's Jesus, the main thing, right? Because compartmentally, a lot of people can figure out how to make jujitsu work when nobody's punching them. But you know, how do you how do you combine these things and make them apply in both with or without the punches, right? With or without the gi, and that's that's kind of the fun part about teaching everything is like maybe in the I, I show something in no gi, then the next day I can show the same thing with the gi grips. The gi variations. Yeah, the yeah. gi variations. And I, know, I was teaching an over-under pass in class yesterday, yeah. and I was, it was in the gi, and then I realized I was doing the no gi vert. I wasn't grabbing the pants. Like, yeah. you know, you bring the head off to the side, you yeah. overhook, and then you stretch and you grab the I was just hooking the leg. Mm-hmm. And then, like, Darius, the other black belt that works for me, he's like, oh, yeah, I grabbed the pants. And I was like, fuck. <laughs> it's like, I know to grab the fucking pants, but I've just been showing this shit in no gi for so long that I... You know, it's dumb shit like yeah. that, right? And I'm like, oh yeah, it's obviously less effective. Of course, grab the pants if you're in gi. Right. The grip is so much stronger, right? Yeah. But yeah, I mean, but that's where, you know, if I if I was expected to be a gi Brazilian jiu-jitsu coach, mm-hmm. my value is way lower, right? Because there's other people who are way more specialized in that style than me. But 
good luck finding somebody who can put it together with the boxing and the striking and then all that stuff. And then you and me, that's the that's the niche that we operate within. But it requires so much more time to like put all of that stuff. First of all, teach it in isolation because we have boxing classes, we have Muay Thai classes. But then putting it together is a whole other animal. I think if you look at if you look at your uh, instead of looking at it as martial arts or particular rule sets, if you can just use that as code so that people understand. Uh, roughly, I'm going to be throwing kicks and punches. Hence, this is Muay Thai. But instead of having it be like a Muay Thai class where they're sabai sabai stomping on ants with their feet, like yeah, you know, uh, that just that's the range. That's that standing range of fighting. Anything that can happen while we're standing, we're gonna we're gonna cover that in here. Yeah, and then that's gonna be takedowns. It's gonna be guillotines. It's gonna be you know, but primarily kicking and punching because that's what you came for. But I'm not gonna neglect the fact that somebody can grab your leg and dump you on your head. Yeah, I, t- I teach takedown defense in Muay Thai. Yeah, I don't give a fuck if you don't like it. I, I feel like if fuck you, if you don't like it. If you can't sprawl, you can't fight. You can't do Muay Thai. Yeah, like, you're really if you don't know how to keep the fight on the feet, yeah. there's no Muay Thai. Yeah, I also think that it should be required that people teach how to fall in Muay Thai because they do all those sweeps. I know, and I see, I've seen like guys who've Injuries. been training two, three years in Muay Thai. They don't know how to fall. Somebody throws a sweep in a drill and they snap their arm. Yeah, I'm like, but, but why would you? Why would you think that it's okay to to th- teach somebody a takedown? This is basically a takedown, a throw, a sweep. If they don't know how to fall, why? Yeah. How irresponsible! That's negligence. You're, that's <laughs> really, really perceptive. I mean, yeah. I, I teach that. You know, the classic Muay Thai dump, right? They go to check the leg kick. Yeah. You step deep and you chop the chest and you kick yeah. out the base leg. And I can't tell you how many people I got injured. They got injured doing that drill. Exact yeah. same thing, drill. And my guys, you you have to know how to fall. Like you're sticking your arms back and you're they're hitting their head and they're tense. They're not loose. Yeah, you're, you're totally. You hit the nail on the head. The ties can get tripped. The, million fucking times and they all know how to fall because they started when they were like two yeah exactly. <laughs> and it's not that they they like learned how to fall when they were two it's just that all the people who didn't have the right reaction died <laughs> it's like a natural selection you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah man but yes it's super interesting but yeah it, it is one of the but this is why i enjoy chatting with you the most because we, we even talked about when we were having beers the other day that if we could if it was marketing possible I wouldn't even teach a jiu-jitsu class or a boxing class or a, I would just teach martial arts. Right. You come into my class, I'm going to teach you how to fight. Right. I'm not going to separate it. I'm not going to do, but people want to do Muay Thai. People want to do boxing. People want to do jiu-jitsu. And if I'm like, come to class, oh, what are we doing today? What? We're going to, martial arts. <laughs> yeah. It's the same thing. Yeah. It's the same thing. Why do I teach you separate? Like, yeah. Way better just to put it all together. But good luck trying to sell that in Singapore. Yeah, right. All right, dude. I feel like we should hit these fights, these uh, jujitsu competitions up. We could do this for fucking hours. So let's get to this uh, Singapore Grappling Invitational. It's this weekend. Me and Major, your boys, we're gonna be doing the commentary for that. So it's gonna be on Facebook. Uh, Oz is organizing it, right? I think uh, he's I the, think so. Yeah. I think he's the organizer. Can you pull that up for us, uh, Jake? Well, Major, I might have to pee, dude. I'm gonna let you handle this for about two minutes. And my beers are done too. All right, so so pull it up there. By the way, Major has you've literally trained with every single person who's competing in this. Competition. Nearly, nearly, yeah. Okay, so can we get the the main comp and then the main competition there? Yeah. And then also uh, your instructor, the guy who gave you your black belt, Lucky, he's also competing on this competition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so keep it rolling. I'll be right back. So we have the. So so, get out of this. Pull it up. Who's the who's the headline? The I think that's the main event, Leke, Leke and uh, Artem, which should be interesting because this is really like a clash of styles, like 100% a clash of styles. Artem's not even 
I think he might be ranked in jiu-jitsu, but he's a, a very high-level wrestler. And he's super strong, super athletic. And then you have Leke, who's you know primarily a gi guy, but Leke's game. He'll do anything. Yeah. If you if you challenge Leke to checkers, he's, <laughs> he'll go, he's, he'll he's go. coming to win. You yeah. know, you challenge Leke to to badminton, he's coming to win. He's he's training in some badminton and he's coming to win. But this is a this is kind of a ADCC is supposed to be the most neutral round for all grapplers. Yeah. It's it's um. It's, it doesn't he, favor wrestlers. It doesn't favor jiu-jitsu guys. It's the most neutral rule set. Out of all grapplers, it's five minutes. What five minutes? No points. Then five minutes. The the final five minutes points kick in. Is that right? Yes, but no, because <laughs> the first five minutes there's no points, but there's still negative points. Because uh, okay, I, yeah, yeah. I assume they're going by uh, finals rules. So if it's the finals in ADCC, you can't pull guard in the first five minutes. You still get a negative point. Yeah. So there goes like a's chance to just pull guard and work guard for 10 minutes against this guy, right? He's going to have to stand with this guy yeah. for five minutes or, or start the match with a negative point. So, um, Are they doing the finals rules? Is that confirmed? I mean, it's only one match. They, they probably have to, right? That, yeah. that, that makes a big difference, actually. That's huge. Yeah, because I think, you know, it, the reason they do that is probably so you can't get through the whole tournament and win it, flop into your ass. Unless you can just submit everybody. But, which by all, if, that, if you can do that, by all means, just flop on your ass. <laughs> but if you can't, you know, maybe you should not flop on your ass. So, I mean, you've trained with Leke extensively. What do you think he's going to be? What do you think he's going to be thinking going into this? Like, what's going to be the what's going to be the strategy? He's dealing with a wrestler, so I might think some leg locks, maybe some. I, man, Leke's. He, what's his game? What's he, his game? Like, I know he's good everywhere. He's been a black belt for a yeah. He's been a black belt for a long time. Leke's Leke's a super good gi guy, man, and and he's really good at like passing. He just he'll get anybody exhausted. Um, his guard's good too, but I think that the problem with that is that. Like I, like I was telling Jake, if, if he pulls guard, he's going to be negative one point. And I think that Artem's probably just big and athletic and, and can adjust to the, to the, uh, to the guard not, to not get submitted if he, is, if he knows he's up by one point. But strategically, it's, it's better to pull guard and get a negative point than get taken down, right? If he's dealing with a No, wrestler. if he gets taken down in the first five minutes, that's fine. Yeah, but going into the... But do you get a negative point in the first five minutes? You don't get a negative point either for pulling guard early on. It's only in no, the second half, right? in the finals you do. So this would be considered oh, right, a finals right, match. Right. So okay. it's actually better if he can like set himself up really poorly for and bait Arden to take him down, re-guard, start working. That's probably the best thing you could possibly do under this rule set because he's not going to probably take Arden down. I mean, Lucky's a good wrestler too, but come on, Artem is, Artem is legit. You know, he's national team coach and he's... He's a super high-level wrestler. Dude, this tournament's pretty fucking good, man. Yeah. This is a good day of competition. Yeah, it's, it's as good. This is a, it's fun, too. You know? I'm yeah. excited to see I mean, you call Leke's fight. Yeah. Yeah. You, you both know you're taking me as like your makeup person, don't you, for when you're on camera? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay, so let's move on, then. We have uh, we got Bruno Amor in the, main, in the co-main event, Ooh, fellow alum of the banger. podcast. That's a banger. Yeah, that and is he's, a banger. And he's competing against the coach from... Equilibrium. Mujik? Mujik, the Kazakh, right? Um, uh, Mongolian. I keep saying that. I keep Mongolian. saying that, the Mongolian. Yeah. Yeah, so let's, let's put this up there, Jake. Yeah, so Mujik, I, I rolled with both of these guys, and I feel like uh, I feel like Mujik's maybe like a young version of Bruno. They're both brown belt world champions. Bruno in IBJJF, Mujik in uh, Abu Dhabi. Um, of course, Mujik's more uh, active presently probably in competition. Well, at least before COVID, more more active presently in competition. Younger as well. Younger as well, yeah. Whereas Bruno's, you know, he's a savvy veteran. He's uh, super, super intelligent with, with. Uh, he's not going to make any any dumb mistakes. But I think what this comes down to, this fight, both of these guys are are just a terror on top. 
Yeah. I mean, they're they're good everywhere. Don't get me wrong; these guys are monsters. But Bruno's passing is ridiculous. You know, you yeah, that Brazilian style, pat, relentless, right? You're just constantly yeah. regarding, constantly framing. Yeah, I, I think that if you, yeah, if you if you match these guys up, whichever one ends up on top, probably takes the match. Um, I don't know who's got the better stand up. I'd see Bruno's probably, ironically, even though Bruno I think is a little bit bigger naturally walking around. He's leaner for this, but I, I would say that Bruno's probably more explosive. And he's very explosive. And yeah. he also fought MMA. I feel like he's got a lot of wrestling experience yeah. too. I don't know compared to this other guy, but But Mujik's got like a very good, like strong, like holding strength. Where like if he, isometric stacks. Yeah, squeezing. yeah, yeah. Which I mean both are terrible if they're on top of you, right? Yeah. Okay. So um yeah, whichever one gets on top, I, I think probably wins the match. And I'm I don't think this goes to a submission. I think it's probably gonna be an advantage match if that Okay. Yeah. But sick match, and it were two coaches, two coaches in Singapore. Bruno's the coach of Gracie Baja, and Mujik's the coach of Equilibrium right now. Yeah. All right, that's going to be a banger. Let's move on to the tournament. Tournament's a lot of purple belts, eh? It's like a lot of the a lot of the purple belts in Singapore. I think there's some blue belts in there too. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. And some brown belts. Harold and Emil are brown belts. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, right, they're brown belts now. Yeah. Interesting. So yeah, pull that up. Okay, so you've trained with a lot of these people. We trained a lot of these people. Yeah, okay. let's pick a match then. Which one do we start with? We us go to the top, top left. Oz. Oz is the organizer, if I'm not mistaken, yep. for, for this competition. Yeah. He's competing as Derek. I'm not sure who Derek is. So, I, yeah, he, I, I trained, he came in the gym a couple times. Um, and Ozzy, was, he trained with me for a while, too. I feel like th these two guys are the I same. I with Ozzy. He's, he's pretty good. I he's, feel like these two guys are the same. Um, like, maybe Derek's like a younger version of Oz. Uh, they're both, okay, so... What I mean by the it's sort of the same, like they have a, a style that's like like that good intermediate level guy that's watched all the Danaher videos. Yeah. Oz was like, going for like, leg locks when he rolled with me and stuff like that. It's not just going for leg locks, but just everything they do is just kinda like textbook. Yeah. And it, there's no like out of the out of the uh, out of the coloring outside of the lines, mm -hmm. just perfect technique by, by Danaher standards and every single movement is something that you've seen before in an instructional. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, but no, they're good though and they're the next, they're the next gen but uh, I think what this comes down to, one thing you look at, Derek is, this is his very first competition. Yeah, Oz is a savvy but He's competed a lot already, right? He's competed a lot but um, I, I, I made a joke with him sometime when he was competing I would say like, Sometimes you're Oz, sometimes you're Hisham. Because like in the gym, he would he would take people down. He'd be aggressive. He would he would attack. And then sometimes he like he would go to competition and then just like pull guard and get lazy. And I'm like, what are you what are you doing, bro? That's not. <laughs> I've seen you in the gym. You're a beast. But then you, you show up and you're like you're like that. And like so when when he does that, I call him Hisham because it's Hisham. What's Hisham. It's his name. It's Hisham oh, okay. Oz. Yeah, oh, so, right, yeah, okay. yeah. Okay. So he kind of yeah. But uh, that's the joke that we have. But yeah, I would say that. Um, for this one, it would probably be uh, Oz would be the favorite. I think he's more experienced. Well, I mean, they competition experience styles. is its own thing, right? Yeah. Like, competing in the gym is not the same thing as competing under the bright lights. Yeah, that's a that's a different animal. Yeah, but but Derek's no no walkover. I think that. Okay, so I think the winner purples, of this right? maybe wins the whole thing. That first match. Yeah, I think so. Maybe. Yeah. Okay, let's go to the next one. Yeah. With the bottom side of the bracket, we got June and Nigel. Okay, so I've only seen these guys compete. Um, yeah, I, I, w I wouldn't really know. I've never rolled with either of these guys. I've seen them compete. Um, so we got a little bit of a question mark there. Yeah, a little bit of a question mark, yeah. Okay, let's go to the top side of the bracket, the top right. Jar and Joe. I don't know either of them as well. I think Joe... I the bottom side. I think... Is Joe that guy from Impact? Not sure. 
I think I've seen that. He's the guy that's visually impaired. I have no idea, man. If that's, if that's the guy, then he's like a new blue belt, if I'm not mistaken. It's also been two years since we've been on the grappling circuit, right? That's true. Like, yeah, a yeah. lot of these guys, I, I don't know. I mean, you, yeah, you, you might, know, when we're going to the competitions yeah. like two, three times a year, you see all the same faces. Yeah, it's yeah. been so long that, honestly, yeah. man, I don't know. And also, even the older guys, like I'm sure their game's developed. It's going to be interesting to see like who's really taking advantage of the COVID times. Right. Who's who has built skills? Who has a brother that trains? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> who's, who's got friends and mats in their house? Right? Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah. And then that bottom side of the bracket, I think this is going to be a good one for the first round. Harold and Amaroles. And that's a classic. That's every every uh, old school tournament in Singapore had a Harold and Amiral match. Yeah. So so tr- traditionally, I, I think in their series, Her- uh, Amiral's got a couple of them, but Harold usually, I think he's got more of them. I, if I'm not mistaken. I think they fought like five times, and I think Harold's got three, or they fought six seven yeah. times in Harold's that's the first seven. round match I'm looking forward to the most I honestly because I know both guys I've I wish they would have put them on opposite <coughs> sides of the bracket because I feel like Harold and Amiral kind of represent traditional jiu-jitsu and I feel like Derek and Oz are like in, the new gen what, wait, what, oh you mean like the old school yeah. oh, if, it, if it were a passing contest with no leg locks or, or a guard retention contest Harold and Amiral win the whole tournament if it's if it's a leg lock contest Derek or Oz win the whole tournament so but now it's clashes styles collide. But there's points and there's submissions. But they can heel hook in this, right? They can, okay, yeah. Nice. They can, yes. Yeah. But I do think, uh, I mean, Amiral doesn't, I don't know how much heel hooks he trains. He's probably just jumping in this um, to, to be in a competition, you know. I think he trains primarily in the gi. Mm-hmm. And then Harold, I, I would reckon, probably trains a bit more. No gi? Yeah, mm-hmm. a bit more. I remember training with him a few years back and... Uh, I was throwing some leg locks at him, so then he, he started researching leg locks a little bit, and then he was like kind of getting savvy with the leg locks. So if he kept it up, he's at least vaccinated against leg locks. <laughs> not, not 100% guarantee he, he, won't, he won't catch one, but, you know. <laughs> also, I like your topical reference. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he might not fight off a delta leg lock, but, you know, it'll be yeah, his, his, his body learns how to fight them off, you know. It's not, not a guarantee, but a higher chance than if he were unvaccinated. So, <laughs> for sure. And then, oh, there's one more. There's uh, Kaishong. And Garrett. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I can tell it. you right now who won the battle of uh, picks. No <laughs> disrespect. I keep saying it, Garrett. I'm sorry, but oh, Daryl, Daryl. Okay, go actually that one because I've changed. One? Oh, there's oh fuck, there's, ba- there's more bangers. It's mom. It's mom. Right, Arthur and, and Gary. That's another good one. Gary would probably be the favorite here just because he's yeah. more experienced. Huge favorite. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. He's uh he got the developmental contract with the UFC, right? Yeah. And then uh, brown belt under Lecky also. Is he brown or is he I, still purple? No, he's brown. He's brown? Oh, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure he's brown. He should he, be brown. He's, he's been around forever. Yeah, he, he came and uh, helped out at Stronghold. When yeah. I went back to visit my, my family, he was yeah. the one that covered my classes. So yeah. he, he'll be the favorite there, but Arthur's a dog. Arthur's a dog. And I respect Arthur, by the way. He competed against Robert Deagle. I mean, he Arthur just, don't give a fuck. He'll just he, he, likes, he likes matches where he's the underdog. Yeah, yeah. which respect to that because most people avoid that shit. So... Respect to you, Arthur. I want you on the podcast someday. You got some crazy stories. We went and drank one day at Holland Village years ago, and he was telling me all these crazy stories about when he was working in the medical field mm. and uh, going. I don't even want to. <laughs> some of it was rough. <laughs> but uh, and then okay, I, I'm training with Daryl. Yeah, I'm training with Daryl. I don't know who the guy on the left is. Mateo, is it? Mateo. So I haven't trained with him. I think I've seen. Is that Daryl? T- Oh, yeah. uh, new fit. Yeah, yeah, new fit. I oh, with I, him okay. Mate. I know both. I coached him on the national team. He was uh, an yeah, right. Player. He was on the national team. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Okay. Good, good ankle lock. Good straight ankle lock. 
Daryl's this, this is ADCC though. rules, right? Yeah. So this might be a little different because I know he he's a new fit. All they do is key. Yeah, but he's he's a, he's like that weird guy on the side of the mats that trains leg locks after class. Yeah, oh, he he was a leg locker even back then. Yeah, you know every gym like like the leg just it's hard. Like people will have like a traditional gi class, and then there's like a the couple of weirdos in every gym that stay after and drill leg locks on yeah. the side. Like you know, I think he's one of those guys. I mean, I've seen him tap out black belts with his ankle lock. Oh yeah, so man, I mean, Daryl's Daryl's got some good ankle locks. Different in ADCC rules, but nah, we'll, we'll see he, how he deals with like reaping and stuff, for example. Because if he if he's game planning that, if he's getting out of the traditional like straight foot, foot locks from the single leg X, and he starts trying to reap, and if he's developed a heel hook game, it could be interesting. But I know he loves jumping on those legs. But this was years ago. But the I other guy's relatively it. new to. I mean, he's good, but I remember I think the last time we had tournaments, that guy was there competing as a white belt. Mm, okay. So I mean. He was obviously like a blue belt level when he was competing as a white belt, and I think he's just like one of those guys that learns really fast. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, he's he's gonna probably bring a fight to him as well. But I, I think Daryl is, I mean, yeah, he's he, on the national team. He's he's good. He's yeah. good. But it'll be interesting to see him under ADCC rules. I think that'll be. I think he'll like those rules better. Yeah, honestly. me too. Yeah, and he should train more nogi. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know what he's doing these days, but yeah. Okay, and then we got Glenn from Field Assembly and your boy Kaishan. Yeah, who looks fucking jacked, bro? <laughs> jacked. Look at that shit. Yeah, man. So he's training at your gym. Kai Chong's a beast. He's coming and he's trained with me a bunch. He's got a very diverse skill set. You know, he's like one of your guys. He's a good wrestler. He's got a good guard. Really good regarding. Good leg locks. He's not afraid to go and go for anything. He'll yeah. he'll attack any part of the body. And uh, I don't know anything about Glenn other than he needs a new picture. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, who knows, man? That's the thing about jiu-jitsu. You can't tell by. You can't match people up by six packs. Oh, you certainly cannot. Because yeah. listen, I've been fucked up by too many guys. But like that. <laughs> but I would say in this case, Kai Shung is genetically a fat kid. So if he's got a six pack like that, that's just a reflection of his hard work. <laughs> that is not aesthetic uh, at all. He's not doing crunches for the girls. See, that's I don't just know. this picture may have been. I don't know how old this picture is, Kai Shung. Yeah, he always looks good. I'm just, I'm just shit talking. Yeah, no. Nah, I don't know. What, it's nice lighting. Do you know yeah. Glenn? Do you know this guy? Is he purple? I, know, or? I hear he's a purple belt. Okay. Yeah. But man, Kai Shung is. There's something special about that kid. Yeah, he's, he's really fucking He good. hasn't lost a single competition since he's come back from NS. I think we, we put him in MMA. Even before NS, I think there was, right, except for that Benedict fight where he lost by decision. I thought it was a draw. It was a decision, yeah. A oh, decision the ref, ref decision or something like that? I was at well, that competition. I thought it was, was a draw. That the no, no, no. That's, that's the one the, where you competed. Yeah, not, not, the, not, the, not the, that was a draw. That yeah. was a, the, the grappling match was a yeah. draw. But I mean, every other, uh, this was an MMA fight. They did like, I think Kaishong was like 17. Oh, Kaishong fought Ben in an MMA fight? Yeah. Oh, I didn't even know that. Yeah, he's a flyweight. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. And they oh, Ben's way small. Ben's my size. He's a, he's a lightweight. Yeah, he's a featherweight. Light, light to feather and Kaishong's fly to Bantam. But, I mean, and he was new. I think he had been training less than a year that time. But, yeah, I went to a decision. It's the last I think he lost in anything. After that, he won everything. Put him in some he's, kickboxing he's matches, boxing good. matches. He's damn good everywhere, too. I, I've done MMA sparring with him. We've done no-gi together. Yeah. He's, he's good everywhere. He's a fucking beast, man. He's got that that sort of there's something something in him like a like a winner's mentality. X factor. You know? Yeah, like you know, like some guys like they're amazing in the gym, but then they'll they'll drop the ball in the in the in the arena, right? Yeah, he, he he elevates. Yeah, yeah. Those, those are special people. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, obviously, I, I'm I'm biased here because I've got insider info. <laughs> obviously, I don't know how. Wait, what's that? Did you change that? Kaishong? What's that? What's that? Jim? <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. I wonder who's biased here. Yeah. Listen, Major, am I gonna have to be, keep you under control in this competition, or are you gonna be? I'm not gonna pull. A, I'm not gonna pull a, 
Uh, M. Polino. Oh, wait, Polino. Uh, that's too. That's too uh, obvious. Polino. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm Matt P. I'm not gonna pull a Matt P. Oh, yeah, <laughs> it's too obvious. So I gave his first name. Yeah. <laughs> shout out to, nice. shout out to Polino. <laughs> yeah. By the way, I want to get Polino back on the podcast. Yeah. I know he's back in Singapore. Yeah. He's never made her like me, so I'm gonna yeah, get yeah. back on there. All right, man. Man, I think we we covered a lot. Hey, did we cover all of them? We covered all the matches here. Yeah, right? I think that's all. Okay, so if you're if you're watching this and, and you're vibing on this competition, you can catch. Uh, you can catch all these guys competing next weekend. That's the, I don't even know what the date is. 18th. 18th of September. Uh, Major and I are doing the commentary. This is a damn Sh- good Shout out properly. I'll put it up again. You can... Yeah, put it up there again. All right, yeah. September 18th at 5.30 it starts. Man, I don't even know. Where is it? Do you know where it is? No idea. We'll be there. We don't know where YouTube. We're it's YouTube. <laughs> it's YouTube, yeah. <laughs> Major and I don't know what's going on. We just, we'll show up. We'll be fucking pumped. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty much our day-to-day existence right we don't know what's going on we're winging it so we're both excited this is going to be sick i can't wait to watch the fights with you man to watch the matches we need to sort out and also we didn't get to cover one maybe we can do it next week yeah but uh the one championship in two weeks is a banger let's go dude come on i'll buy those tickets today yeah don't flake on me you fights. This, this is the one shirt right yeah here. yeah, yeah. You're, you're rocking the one shirt man yeah. christian lee's fighting victoria, victoria lee, lee the younger one is fighting Martin Wen is fighting. Yeah. Uh, there's a kick, a dope at is kickboxing. Uh, there's a kickboxing championship. This is the best card since Tiffany fought last time. By the way, I wish Tiffany was, Tiffany was supposed to be on the podcast today, but I fucked it up and didn't triple confirm with her. <laughs> you don't you don't know the etiquette. It's yeah, you must double confirm. I didn't double triple confirm with Tiffany, yeah. so she didn't know what was going on. But she's been trolling one hard on Instagram. I loved it. I wanted to talk to her bad about uh-huh. it. Yeah, yeah. She, after that Michelle Nicolini fight, oh, there's so much shit to talk about. After yeah. Panda fought Michelle Nicolini in that super weird fight. Dude, she went hard in the paint. I loved it. So I, I'll get Tiffany back on soon because that was – I was just watching it and, like, eating popcorn, dude. Yeah. <laughs> she was, like, trolling one, trolling Nicolini and everything. Yeah. So, listen, a lot of stuff to digest. Major, pleasure as always, man. Dude, I fucking love this podcast. If I had one dude that I could do the podcast with every week, it would be you, man. This is just so much fun. We're actually talking about doing a little series together maybe on the side. So, maybe dropping some fucking martial arts knowledge and doing a little, some 10-minute segments. We'll keep you posted yeah. on that, but Major and I are brainstorming. Jake, you're my dude, man. I appreciate you doing all the hard work <laughs> while Major and I sit here and get drunk and talk shit. <laughs> studio version 3 has some bugs to iron out, we've discovered. Yeah, yeah this is the third version of the studio. We're, we're, we're always trying to improve, but I'm still a white belt. I'm a, I'm a lifelong white belt. And what I mean by that is that I... Very, I get better so slow that I'm just a white belt forever. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, ever, uh, Major, you got anything else, dude? That's it, man, for me. Jake, you got anything else? No. Viva la Ronaldo. Viva Ronaldo. <laughs> okay. All right, everybody. This is the Stronghold Podcast. If you enjoyed this, please like, subscribe, share that shit. You can follow me on Instagram. Major's on Instagram. Uh, thank you all for listening, and have a good day. Mm-hmm.